This is the Manga Mavericks podcast from AllComic.com, episode 173. We are a podcast not only dedicated to talking about manga as a medium, but as an industry. I'm Colton. And I'm Lam Ramiasha. And on this episode, we're kicking off our Koei Horikoshiman by revisiting his bewitching first serialization, Omaga Doke Zoo. And we sure had a wild time talking about the series with our guests, artist extraordinaire Sai letterer Ace Chrisman, and of course, our good friend on all these Cancel Jump series episodes, Maxi Bernard. It was a fantastic conversation on a truly bizarre wild manga. We had an uproarious time, and yeah, and it, as you'll hear, it was a beast of a discussion, quite long, so... Y'all enjoy some good conversation as we go over all the highlights and pick apart what worked and what didn't about Horikoshi Koshi's anthropomorphic zoo animals battle manga. Yeah, this was a very fun discussion. I mean, just in general, um, I love doing uh, what I like to call jump stop podcasts. Uh, I love doing these. These are always fun. It's always fun to pick apart uh, why series get canceled and what didn't work, um, especially with this one. As you're going to hear me talk about in the discussion, like this is this is a series that is very close to my heart because this is how I got into Horikoshi stuff before My Hero Academia, before Barrage. I was there from the well, not technically from the start because I didn't read the one shot, but that's here near there. Um, but yeah, this was really fun, and we definitely went on for a long time, longer than I thought. But uh, it's okay because we had a lot to talk about. There was a lot to go over, but um, yeah, I'm really glad we could have Sai and Ace on. It's also great to have Maxi on. And yeah, you're going to get to listen to that in a little bit. But uh, I guess since we're doing a Jump Stop podcast, since we haven't had the chance on the show to mention these, uh, because we've just had so much to talk about in our news episodes, um, I did just want to put out there uh, just to kind of update everybody as far as like uh, some of the canceled Shonen Jump manga finally coming to digital, uh, you know, via Viz. Um, so uh, we kind of had some announcements like here and there. Some where listings just kind of like popped up and Viz didn't really announce them at all. So that's kind of fun. Um, so uh, just to kind of list off the two of them that are out available now. Uh, right now, you can get both volumes of Time Paradox Ghost Rider, as well as all three volumes of Guardian of the Witch. The entirety of both those series are available now uh, if you want to read those. Uh, obviously, they were already available on the Shun Jump app. But if you want to buy the volumes for those, those are out. And then as far as uh, anything else coming out in the future... The Beloved Bone Collection, both volumes of that are going to be coming out on September 28th digitally. And then uh, something that I was looking forward to in particular, Mitama Security Spirit Busters. The first volume of that's going to be coming out on December 28th. And then we have uh, Hardboiled Cop and Dolphin. Uh, the first volume of that's going to be coming out on November 23rd. So again, just to kind of catch you guys up on all the canceled series that are getting uh, digital releases from Viz. Um, because, you know, when we initially, like, started doing these kinds of podcasts, th this was not something that we used to get at all. So I just think it's really cool that, like, you know, like we said before, Viz knows that, like, there's an audience for these canceled series. And I'm, I'm just glad they're bothering to put them out, uh, especially since, like, you know, when we eventually get to some of these on the shows, we'll have, like, you know, we'll have, like, volume extras to work off of and stuff. Um, I know the ones for, like, Stealth Symphony in particular are pretty, like, informative, which makes me feel like we need to, like, revisit that for the Patreon maybe or something. But, like, yeah, it's, it's just cool that Viz is releasing these in volume form. And it's really cool. And I just wanted to let you guys know what was coming up. So, there's that. Yeah. Hopefully the success of these encourages Viz to keep 
doing digital releases for canceled titles and perhaps dig back into older series that they may not be comfortable printing but would be comfortable releasing in digital as would be the case for the manga doki so hint hint nudge nudge there viz you know maybe take a chance maybe use this platform as an opportunity Mm-hmm. I would love to own Omagadoki Zoo officially. That would be really great, Viz, if you're listening. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, uh, I don't think we have anything else at the top of the show we need to talk about. So I think we can just get right into our discussion. Mm-hmm. I think Twilight is here, bewitching hours upon us. It's time to transform and head into our discussion because it's going to be a long night or really least a long podcast. And what's fun for us is gathering up a bunch of friends and talking about series we adore. That's right, the bewitching hour is upon us. And we are going to be discussing as the first installment of our Koei Horikoshi month, his very first series in Weekly Shonen Jump, Omagadoki Zoo. And we brought on some wonderful friends of ours to discuss the series with us. Returning, as always on our Cancel Jump Series retrospectives, is our good friend for Friendship Effort Victory, Maxi Bernard. Ahoy! And returning on the show, our good friend and letterer for between a bunch of other places on a ton of great series, Ace Chrisman. Hello, hello! And welcoming to the show for the first time, artist extraordinaire, Sai! Hi! Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us for, yes, this first installment of our Koi Murikoshi month. And indeed, uh, we are revisiting Omega Kizu for Koji Swell series, and I think we're going to have a fun discussion of it. I'm especially looking forward to uh, talking to Maxi about this series because, uh, and, and I'm sure we'll probably link this in the show notes, but we both did concurring threads for no reason whatsoever. Totally not in preparation for this podcast. Uh, and, you know, I, I said as much on Twitter, but like, I, I was kind of afraid of, like, how much I wanted to go in on Omagadoki Zoo just because, like, d- for some reason I care about, like, cannibalizing views and such things. I don't know. <laughs> but it, it was one of those things where, like, when I when I got started on it, I just couldn't stop. Like, there was – we'll, we'll talk about this all throughout the show, obviously, but there's, like, so much to like about the series despite, like, its short run and – how it ended and everything, and I'm 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 especially excited to have Maxi on because I know we feel the opposite on a lot of things apparently, so I think it'll make for a good discussion. Basically, I'm a massive misery who gave out about everything, and then your friend started, and <laughs> oh. everything I said was bad. You were just being like, "Actually, this is good." <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I, I did it just to spite you. No, I I no, I'm just kidding. I mean, <laughs> 
You wouldn't, you wouldn't be the first to enjoy something to spite me, who I guess also enjoyed <laughs> oh. something, but was just mean about it while I was enjoying it. <laughs> <laughs> no, Maxie's the yin to my yang. That's just the way of the universe. But no, I'm I'm really excited to have both Ace and um, and Scion. Um, Ace is always fun to have on, uh, have on the show. So I'm glad to have them on, and I'm really happy to have Scion because, like Lum mentioned, this is your first time on the show, and uh, you know I think I mentioned it to you already. But like you know, part of the reason I wanted to have you on was, uh, you know, I you were you were one of the uh, I think the only person on my timeline, just kind of in my bubble, who I ever saw do any fan art for the series. So. I, I think that really stuck out to me, and I think that was a big reason, like, why I followed you. Not, not in, I mean, your your art in general is just great, I just want to say. Thank you. Uh, Amagadoki is um, odd for me because I've been reading it since the original one-shot came out in uh, Shonen Jump back in, like, 2011, when I was still in high school. Mm. Mm. Yes. Uh, I, I also got into the series when I was in high school, yeah. <laughs> it's surprisingly uh yeah been there for a very long time in my life nice yeah no no same i mean i mean i, I guess we might as well just get into that now and uh to talk about how we got into omagadoki zoo and just kind of talk about our first impressions and go from there so uh sorry you kind of already started if you just want to i don't know if there's anything else you want to add to that or uh sure like i remember that was way back when when like the only way to read a lot of things was through scanlations so I would just refresh fucking um, Manga Panda over and over to see if there's <laughs> anything new. <laughs> uh, see, you, you you had Manga Panda. I had, uh, oh, what was it? Uh, one Manga? Manga yeah, One something? Yeah. Oh, my God. The One Manga. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. So. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I would refresh that over and over again just to find something new to read. And one day, Omega Doki Zoo came on, and I was like, oh, this looks fun. And then I read the one shot, and I was really, really hoping that it would get another full series chance. And then a few weeks or months later, it finally did. And I was just really excited to read it. It was this author's first work, so it's like, oh, new face. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you and I... I'm not sure about everybody else, but at least I know you and I probably one common thing we share is I, I think this is pretty much how we both got into Kohei Horikoshi stuff. We we were into Horikoshi before My Hero Academia, so <laughs> we're, we, we can say that. <laughs> yeah, th- see, the the funny thing about that is I was actually scared to read My, uh, My Hero Academia for a long time because his first work only lasted 38 chapters, and then his second work only lasted like 10 I did not read My Hero for at least a year or a year and a half because I was just scared it would suddenly get cancelled. (laughs) (laughs) That's totally fair. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. But I guess, um, Ace, do you want to talk about your experience with Omakadoki Zoo next? Sure. So I'm fortunate enough to live near San Francisco, which has a Kinokuniya. Uh, so I would just kind of browse their Shonen Sunday and Shonen Jump sections because I could understand just enough Japanese to get the gist of stories from Jump and uh, Shonen Sunday. And I saw the first volume there and I was like, animals, cancer animals. <laughs> and I am massively furry. So I was just like, yes. <laughs> and I, I loved it. I thought the, the character designs were so wacky and creative and weird. And uh, yeah, that that's how I got into it. I, I would eagerly await every every uh, volume release. Um, yeah, I, I'm also one of the uh, cool kids that was like, oh yeah, this guy, 
has some good art. And then uh, Raj came out, what, I don't know, a couple years later, and I was like, yeah, this guy again, he does great stuff. And then My Hero came out, and I was like, hey, Viz, this is going to be big. And they're like, no. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, well, fine. And where are we today? Yeah. I was going to say, could you imagine a world where Viz just didn't pick up My Hero Academia at all? (laughs) Right? (laughs) I don't want to say I told you so, but I told you so. (laughs) Yeah. It's funny because um, at the back of one of the volumes, you can see the original My Hero one shot, and it's nothing like what the final is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, yeah. I'm sure we'll dig into that a little bit here as we go on. But, um, I guess, um, Maxi, do you want to go next? Uh, yeah. So when it came out, it was uh, mid-2010. I'd already been like several years deep into really paying attention to what was going on in Shonen Jump in Japan, uh, usually through scans or just through talking on the Manga Helpers forum, because we all like to like backseat analyze things that weren't necessarily true, like treating a table of contents as rankings. It's what we did. Um, and the week before Omegadoki Izu came out, a, another series started that was the second series by the Zan creator, uh, Naoya Sagita, and I really liked Zan. It looked like garbage, and there was something really charming about that. Like, it, it, it's, we'll talk about it one day, I'm sure. You cannot oversell how, how Zan was as a series. It did not look like it should be published. Uh, and SWAT looked amazing coming up to it, because it's like his art style had really refined and solidified and had a lot of depth to it. And the first chapter was just a horrific disappointment. Oh. So I was like, oh, okay, not going with this one now. I'll check out next week's series, which is by someone I've never heard of before. I don't really know much about it. And uh, the, the second I saw like the actual cover of Jump, when it like leaked ahead of the chapter, like I was set for at least needing to see it. Like Just having that sort of big perch picture of Sheena like leaning towards the, the reader... Is just like that's a proper like gotcha visual. Like you can't look at that and think like this is nothing like anything else in Jump right now. Like I need to know what this is about. And uh, I don't think I managed to keep up with it all the way through back then. Originally, I thought I had read it all. Uh, I had never read the circus arc until reading mm. these volumes now, which explains <laughs> why oh. I didn't know it was five volumes long. <laughs> uh, and boy, let me tell you. What an arc to have as an extra surprise when you're reading through. Like, that that really brought back all the sort of... The, the love I'd felt reading it the first time that had kind of gone over time. But just... I don't know. It was a, it was a good read while it went. I guess, I guess I fell off midway for whatever reason. And then Horikoshi came back with Barrage, which I really liked at the time. But I seemed to be making problems for myself by talking about Barrage, so... Oh, well, we'll talk more about Barrage later. One day, one day we'll talk about Barrage. Uh, It's it's very charming in a lot of ways. (laughs) I I was going to say, that that day's coming up soon. (laughs) The thing is, what if I end up rereading it and I decide I like it? Then you don't get good episodes. You just get me being wrong for for listener views. No, you can reevaluate how your feelings have changed. That makes (laughs) for an interesting podcast in of itself. No, it's okay. I mean, It'll that that'll that'll be on the Patreon specifically, so people have to pay to see how wrong you are. Right. So <laughs> you can hide your shame behind the paywall, Maxie. It's okay. Yeah, people want the satisfaction of me being Oh god, I'm gonna have to talk about a certain other series. It doesn't matter. Anyway. <laughs> uh, and then that died very quickly. Uh it, I, I know it was running in Shonen Jump Alpha at the time, but 
that wasn't an option for me. Uh, so I didn't actually read it until the print volumes came out, which is always kind of novel because Horikoshi's name's written differently on those books than it is on My Hero Academia. Oh yeah, I guess it did get print, huh? Yeah, yeah it, it, and it quite really, really nice as print volumes. Uh, for all the crap I'll give those series, uh, like those covers are real nice, and I'll, I don't think I'd ever get rid of them unless I already have uh, all my mangas in storage right now. So I don't really know what I've got or not anymore. And then My Hero Academia came out, and again, I didn't really have access to that at the time, so I caught up eventually and really loved it. It's, it's it can't be said enough. Like you can see the full journey of this creator across those three series and the original Bakuna Hero one-shot, where, like, I don't think you get such a clear idea of an author working stuff out on the page about how they want to be as a creator. But, yeah, no, it was... It's really interesting just having this whole se- uh, series of series, as it were, where you, you get to see Horikoshi turn into the ridiculously popular author he is today, you know? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. No, yeah, for sure. That, that That's kind of one of the things I'm looking forward to, like, kind of going through the most as we continue our Horikoshi month. But uh, I guess, Lum, do you want to go next? You should go next because I have the most recent history and my thoughts can lead into our broader discussion. Sure, sure. Um, So, I mean, look, uh, it's, it's not a contest, obviously, but I, I feel like I'm probably the most excited to talk about this, possibly, because, like... Omagadoki Zoo is, and, and maybe we'll get into this more as we go on, but like, it's it's just one of those things that has a really special place in my heart because it is the first time I ever came, acro- uh, came across Hor- uh, Horikoshi's stuff, obviously. Um, and like we said earlier, just like Psy, you know, I also got into Omagadoki Zoo, you know, when I was in high school and I was still like, a- at the time I was just kind of getting into like keeping up with Shonen Jump as a magazine, despite it. Uh, not being wholly available at the time like we like we do today, you know, uh, how things have changed. But uh, I, I think one difference from Sai is that uh, I had never read the one shot until just recently. So I, I got into the series like just from chapter one and on. And, you know, I, I tried to look this up and maybe maybe down the line, I'll find out that I'm wrong. But as far as I can tell, I think Omagadoki Zoo was the first series I ever started reading weekly from chapter one. Oh, I think so. Cause like, uh, I, I know, I know I've read my, I've read my share of like scanned jump series that didn't make it past like a certain threshold of chapters or whatever. And the more I looked into it, the more I was like, no, Amagadoki Zoo seems to be like the earliest series I can remember, like starting from the beginning while it was running. So, you know, it's kind of special to me in terms of that. And I mean, like, you know, obviously when, when I first started it, like, and again, we'll talk about this more, but I, I think it really is like the animal designs that really like kind of kept me coming back. And like Horikoshi's art just in general is just so amazing. Even e- even as far back as o- Omagadoki Zoo. And I, I personally, I think like, you know, he starts off really good. And I th- one thing about Omagadoki Zoo, I will say, is I do think his art gets better and better with every chapter. Uh, it eventually kind of transformed into the kind of comic that like I'm kind of used to seeing from Horikoshi today with My Hero Academia and everything and uh man it was kind of a journey you know trying to read this series while it was being scanned because eventually like I think around the time it got canceled because I think the group that was doing it at the time was like kind of behind a few weeks and they were trying to catch up and then I think when it eventually got canceled they just kind of stopped so I, I don't think I actually read the full series until, like, 
I want to say 2015, 2016, somewhere around there. And, uh, you know, I remember being like, oh, man, I still like this thing as much as I as much as I did back then. I'm so glad I finally got to see it. end. and I was I was on cloud nine. I was like, man, this series is so good. Whereas now, after kind of revisiting it after like uh, five years or so, I think I'm of the opinion that the series is still very special to me and there's still so much I love about it. But I do think it's, I'm going to say I'm still going to like this more than Barrage, honestly, but I do think Horikoshi's writing uh, in terms of his uh, characters and the themes he explores, especially like in My Hero Academia, just gets so much better. Yeah. Um, like, as, as as much as I love Omakadoki Zoo, I, I do have to admit that I I do think the writing isn't exactly the most interesting that I've seen in manga, you know? It's it's very simple and straightforward in a lot of places most of the time. But again, I, I still really enjoy it, and I'm glad that we're talking about it today because, again, like I think out of all the canceled stuff that we've talked about and will talk about, it's it's probably the series that like I think about the most, honestly. Um but I guess, uh, yeah, we can just kind of go ahead into your history, Lum, if you want to talk about that real quick. Yeah, my history with the series is that I knew we were going to cover this on the show. So I waited <laughs> to read it until we were going to cover it on the show. Then oh, Midnight wow. popped up last night. I was like, oh, I still need to read this to cover it on the show. And so then I read it <laughs> and I literally uh, finished it uh, after I got it this morning, uh, like a second before we started the call. <laughs> I mean, a little Goodness. glib. Like, I did start reading bits and pieces a few days ago, but essentially I read it all within the, the span of the last couple hours. Yeah, so this is my first time reading it. My awareness of Koshi first came through Barrage, and then I knew about Omakadoki Zoo, but I didn't ever seek it out until now. Uh, but, yeah, when I started reading the series uh, for this pod, like... I think, you know, my impressions are going to be different than you guys because obviously I'm reading it like now and kind of in the shadow of having read MHA and stuff. So coming in from that perspective, like my attention was like on, okay, well, here are some ideas that Horikoshi exploring here. Here are some things he's interested in. And then I can see like how these were developed in Barrage and then MHA. And I found that interesting, perhaps more so than a lot of the series in terms of how it was written. Because there are interesting things about uh, some of the ideas in Amagadoki Zoo for me. But I feel like because this was Horikoshi's first series, it doesn't all quite come together super smoothly in terms of connections being made between different ideas, which we can get into later. But I do think that this is a great display of Horikoshi's artistic creativity because I think, like we've all mentioned, the animal designs are really excellent and creative. Some of them may be a little over-designed, but I think a lot of the designs really stand out and are really fun and playful ways to reimagine these animals as, like, sort of humanoid creatures. So I thought that's, like, one of the greatest strong points of the series. And I think once we got into, like the battle portion of the series where we have introduced like the villain groups and we have like those kind of fights and stuff. That's where we see a lot of good strength in Horikoshi's action scenes and his choreography in that way. And there are some fun ideas in those fights too. So I think uh, it became definitely pretty fun to read as it went along. But yeah, definitely a little bit shakier on the writing side in terms of like uh, things coming together. Like with the first chapter... Like I felt, well, there are a few different ideas here in terms of these characters and what their wants are, but I don't feel like 
like the relationships they form and like how the events play out super come together in a satisfying way for me. But I mean, just to address one of those things that I find interesting, though, is that with each of Horgoshi's, you know, series, I do find it very interesting that like his protagonist is essentially a character who feels like they aren't really good for anything. They're kind of weak, but they really want to be of use and helpful to others. And they really want to do that in a way by like demonstrating what they love and like doing right by others in their lives. And so we see that first gestate here with Hana and her, you know, desire as someone who has always been clumsy to just want to find a place where she can be of use to others and, you know, prove herself as so unuseful to others. And then she finds that here in the zoo where she de- can play a very helpful role in like helping these animals kind of acclimate to certain problems. And because of her knowledge of them also can use that very usefully. So she comes a very helpful presence. And then I think we see that idea of that character and that character arc kind of mature more in each iterative work of Horikoshi's, like in Broderick, kind of Astro and his imposter syndrome, like taking the place of the, the, the prince and then like him having to live up to that role and responsibility. And then in, of course, MHA with Deku and him, you know, going for someone quirkless and someone who is kind of weak and feeling like he couldn't be here until someone being entrusted with power and trusted with the fate that he can be and then growing in that way. So I like seeing that development of that character archetype, that protagonist uh, idea in Horikoshi series. And I think he definitely improves upon it, especially as he brings in kind of that more, probably even more of an emotional perspective, I feel. Like, I, I think that this in writing of Horikoshi's uh, improves in each series as he kind of brings in more of his personal feelings. And so I guess that's another weakness of a Magadoki for me in the first chapter was that I got the sense he was interested in this idea of this person who felt useless, like finding their place and you know, finding community and belief in their own ability. But I didn't quite feel like... I felt like that was an idea, but disconnected from, like, the author's own feelings. So I didn't quite get the emotional punch in the climax of the end with her rescuing the SEAL guy and then getting encouraged by Sheena and all that. But then as that progresses, and I think Korokoshi's kind of perhaps putting his own like emotional feelings of perhaps his own feelings as an artist and his struggle like to uh, succeed and be noticed and perhaps get encouragement. I definitely feel like we get more of that uh, strength of emotion, that kind of heart, that core of it that I think really shines in MHA's first chapter. But those are just some general ideas, general observations that interested me, but we can go further from there. Uh, I think. Well, I, I want to say something based on, uh, on, yeah, Horikoshi and this, this kind of character type. Um, I've had the extreme luck of, of meeting Horikoshi Sensei twice. Um, <laughs> and he's very much the, I, this is, this is the impression I got. He's very much that type of character. Mm. Like, <laughs> I can't do sense. anything right. I will try my best. And I hope it succeeds. So, so you're saying he's just Deku? Yes, he's <laughs> he's very much like like it's it's weird seeing creators and then thinking about their characters because I've also had the pleasure of meeting Tabata Sensei of Black Clover a couple times, <laughs> and he's Asta. Yeah, <laughs> he's very much like we could do this. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, like he's amazing. He's got all this energy. He's 
he's great. And then, like, the same day I met Tabata Sensei for the first time, like, the next interview, because this was at uh, Jump Festa many years ago. It was interview with Tabata Sensei and then interview with Horikoshi. And Tabata's like, yeah, everything's awesome. Wow, you like my series. This is amazing. Ah." And then you see Horikoshi Sensei. He's like, I'm sorry you like my series. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry for being me. I'm like, Horikoshi Sensei. So, on on that line of thought, apparently a lot of people say that Oda is exactly like Luffy. Yeah. (laughs) I could see that, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Like, I think a lot of series really shine when the creators really genuinely put themselves in their work. And then kind of explore themselves through their characters (laughs) that way. I think you can can always kind of get that feeling. Because it's when you find a main character, like, really relatable. You you definitely get this idea that something of the author's gone into it. And so it's it's always really nice to have that confirmed, you know? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and and you know, this is, this is, I'm not saying that's exactly how he is, you know? Like, I wasn't giving the interview. I was sitting on the sidelines thinking, I wish I knew more Japanese. (laughs) That's very much the impression I got. No, but th- that is really interesting to hear, and I think, uh, I mean, just speaking kind of broadly for a sec, I-, I think that's why I've always kind of, like, gravitated towards manga in particular, because it all it always feels personal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. It's part of what makes comics the greatest medium, <laughs> is uh, having, like, such a, a low amount of creators to most works, is it, it often gets to be, like, super personable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I was going to say about Hana, yeah, what you just said. I, d- I do love how, like, the longer Omagadoki Zoo goes on, that Hana just kind of becomes Deku. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because th- there's, there's literally a point where, like, and I mean, she's kind of an amalgamation of, like, well, I'm mostly Deku, but I sensed a little bit of Tenga Ida in there, too, with her, like, constant, like, hand gestures and movements and everything yes. at one point. And, oh, like, yeah. she literally does the thing that Deku does later on, where, like, she'll just keep going on and on about one thing, and then she'll be like, dude, shut up, you talk too much, or whatever. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's so good. I've always viewed Omagadoki Zoo as, like, Horikoshi's everything in just his pure self. Because it's, like, all these ideas that he's had in this series, even a lot of the characters, he still uses these to this day. Like, uh, Shishido's basically Bakugo. Uh, yeah. Still see, <laughs> like, he even says in an interview that he was prototype Bakugo. Sakamata comes back, Obami comes back, uh, even kind of Shida comes back with the, the rabbit hero. Uh, Takahiro comes back in the movie, one of the movies. Toy Toy is in the background. Yeah, yeah. Toyo's oh, wow. in the background, huh. and uh, when Bakugo is getting harassed by the, the crowd during the sports tournament, uh, she's one of the heroes uh, ranting on him. And, like, <laughs> Isana is basically, what's his name, the masked dude from My, my, my Hero? Overhaul. Oh, overhaul? Yeah, Overhaul. Like, all these characters keep coming back, and it's like, every single idea he's had in this series you can tell that he genuinely loved it because it never fully goes away. It's always something in his work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of, Sheena's uh, human design is basically, you know, uh, I cannot remember anyone's name in my hero. Shigaraki? Right yes. Mm. Yeah. You know, I can see that. If you dehydrate a rabbit man enough, you get Shigaraki. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the thing. I actually wrote a thing about that uh, a few years ago, too. So... Sheena 
his like mental state stops at a child, right? Because he's alone. Mm-hmm. Pretty much, yeah. Mm. And Shigaraki's mental state sort of stops as a child, but he's not alone. He gets taken in by someone evil. So it's like they're the opposite of each other in how they grow. Oh, yeah. That's a good connection. Sai, you're really blowing my mind right now. (laughs) Similar background, but, like, the route that they ended up taking ended up completely different. So it's like, one is bad end, one is good end. That's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, I I really like that. Yeah, I really appreciate Horikoshi revisiting character archetypes and character ideas uh, and building upon them, like, from Omagadoki all the way through MHA. That is really cool. And I do agree. I This does feel like an everything in Kitchen Sink kind of series where Korokoshi is just exploring all these different ideas and concepts he really likes and just wants to put in a story. And I think that's what makes it fun. I think that definitely comes across in the designs and what makes that fun. And while I do feel that a lot of the different ideas don't necessarily come to get her cohesively necessarily in this story i do think it's fun to see him explore these and then see where he takes them in mha in particular but even in barrage where we see some of that stuff develop a little more mm-hmm. i mean i was gonna say that, that that's kind of my thing with omagadoki zoo at this point is that i recognize that it's not the most like cohesive story or whatever but like it's still a fun read, and I, I still have fun every time I read it. Like I, I like being in the world of Amagadoki Zoo, and I, I, I still like spending time with the characters. Again, even if even if they're not the most like complex or like nuanced or whatever, like they're they're still fun. Yeah, yeah. And like yeah. personally, with Amagadoki Zoo, I always have fun reading it, and it feels like Horikoshi always had fun writing it with i can't always say that for barrage and my hero like personally i didn't like barrage mm. so getting mm-hmm. that out there uh i read it first when it was coming out and i just never read it again because i didn't really <laughs> like it <laughs> and my hero there have been long stretches in my hero where i just was not interested in the contents it didn't feel like horikoshi was having fun writing it and i don't know if that's just a result of like the editor's coming in and saying, hey, you need to do this or whatever, but I just can't honestly say that throughout My Hero, I've constantly enjoyed the ride. That's fair. Yeah, I mean, it, it feels like it's kind of a given with a series that runs as long as My Hero has, that like there's going to be ebbs and flows, and so it's uh, it's actually kind of to Omagaraki Zoo's advantage that by being, like, five volumes, it's, even for all its flaws, it's going to be this this constant flow where it's unlikely Horikoshi was ever going to get, like, disinterested in something that's being told, because mm-hmm. it's compact. Yeah. This is Horikoshi at his freshest and probably most creatively energized, whereas you definitely see kind of him show signs of wear in MHA as he goes along. Mm. Mm-hmm. Like you, It's the great thing with author's debut series. It's like a, a Hungry Joker as well, like on the sort of Tabata kick. It's not necessarily the greatest series. Like, it's got flaws out the caboose, but it's Tabata in like a good place health wise because it's not really done a serialization before this point and just churning out a lot of like really wild ideas because you know you're young dumb and just full of energy brilliant <laughs> to put on the page and that's yeah. like really really exciting to see from authors that's why I love like early failures for creators as, as much as failure is like a relative term you know they got cancelled that's the important part uh it's it's you just you get to see 
it, it's not like a, a naive expectation, but it's just someone just excited to finally be making a comic, you know? Yeah, yeah. I think that intrusion comes across also in just the vivaciousness, the liveliness of a lot of the characters, too. Mm-hmm. And I mean, just talking about My Hero for a second, I mean, at, at the time of, we're recording this, I mean, I, I think My Hero is as good as it's ever been, honestly. Like, this stretch of the manga has been so amazing. But, uh, you know, d- despite that, like, I- I've seen some people, you know, theorize that, like, you know, the, the-, the kind of journey that Deku's on now is sort of reflective of maybe how Horikoshi feels as a creator and, like, yeah. s- sort of the meta behind there, I think, is really interesting. Again, I th- that's more of a theory, but, you know, it's-, it's just interesting to think about. Yeah. No, I I buy that. Uh Especially considering, like, what we discussed of, like, what the impression of what Horikoshi's personality is like and how he thinks of himself. And I definitely can see, like, a lot of the wear Deku feels in current material. A lot of this feeling of, like, taking all of these burdens on himself, even if he's, like, wearing down his own health. And then just other people need to reach out to him, like, say, hey, no, you don't have to push yourself this hard. I definitely feel like a lot of that content in the story is probably inspired by things going on in his own uh, life. He kind of stumbled into the fame, too, because his first series got canceled really early. And the one shot for My Hero that he did, he just did it out of fun. He didn't really expect anyone to really want it. And then it kind of went, you know, crazy, huge, popular. And suddenly, like, H.R. Oda's saying how he's going to beat him one day. And <laughs> I can't imagine the kind of pressure that would put on someone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is, like, all yeah. my Dondeku pressure. And yeah, like, in that, like, first author's comment in the first volume of uh, MHA, he's, like, saying, hey, this is my third series. It might not run for a long time, but, you know, I just want to draw something fun. People enjoy. Hopefully we'll enjoy it together. And then, <laughs> then it exploded into like one of the most popular titles uh, on the scene right now. Exclusively popular. <laughs> yeah. Well, ultimately, I'm, I'm glad that things worked out for Horikoshi because, you know, I've, I've, I've heard this kind of like thing that may or may not be true where like d- that jump can be so ruthless as to like, you know, if you do enough series for jump and you're like on your third try and that doesn't work, then basically you just kind of give up and quit. Yeah, seems like an unwritten rule. We see like a lot of three strikes are out kind of thing with authors. Yeah, so I don't know. It, it, it's just really hard to imagine a world where My Hero Academia failed because I mean, like, it, this is not to minimize like the overall quality of My Hero Academia because personally, I, I love the series so much. But like, I do think with My Hero Academia in particular, it's a really good thing that like superheroes were all the rage still at that point and still are, you know? I yeah. Think that, yeah. I, I, th- I think the climate of things in terms of that like really helped too. Yeah, it's just unfortunate that there was never a zoo craze at the time of <laughs> zoo was coming out. People were anticipating going to zoos and cribs and circuses. So if only that was a trend were in Japan, then maybe the series could have lasted a bit longer. I mean, it it can go the other way around. Uh, do you think like Sam Dunk made basketball big? Omegadoki Zoo could have made yeah uh, zoos big. Mm-hmm. Ah, if it's only it could have started a whole trend of zoo manga. I think Omega Doki Zoo would have actually done better nowadays. Uh, mm, if only I think because so, yeah. it would have been the animal equivalent to Dr. Stone. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, because like, the, the thing that always got me about Omega Doki Zoo and like, you know, obviously, at least most of us read this when it was being scanned, you know, that, that's not something we're going to shy away from, obviously. And with that being said, you know, 
because it was being scanned like while it was in the magazine they would always translate like the little blurbs always talking about how well the volumes are doing and like yeah how it's been like reprinted mm-hmm. or whatever yeah that's just marketing speech it yeah. basically I, so i mean me being a dumb teenager at the time and not knowing anything about how sales work like that always made me think like oh yeah this is the surefire hit and it's gonna stick around and then it didn't yeah. so <laughs> i don't it's it's interesting because i think sai has a point you know that was something i couldn't help but think too like i i think how well however well omagadoki zoo did back in the day and maybe maxi might have a might know better than i do but like i I feel like if it ha- if it got those same numbers today, like maybe it would have stuck around. Possibly, like how how well certain series and jump need to do in terms of like volume sales in order to help it stay afloat or whatever. Like it has really drastically changed. I think in like th- the ten years since Omagatoki Zoo uh, was first published, you know. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I I don't think it necessarily sold incredibly well, but if you treat in modern jump terms, twenty thousand copies for a volume would be pretty good for yeah. most like mid-level titles. Like they can coast on that, get some covers, get some center colors, and that, and grow into a huge success. Mm-hmm. And I want to say Omagadoki Zoo, from memory, was around that sort of line, which is like not quite in the top fifty, but sometimes in the top fifty. So I don't know what records are like for it. But it, yeah, no, if it came out today, it absolutely would have thrived, even under that sort of the creative level it was at at the time. Uh, I always think, like, how it would have been if, if Horikoshi were to start it as the, the creator he is now. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, the little bumps in the road, the little design niggles, like, were good or bad, uh, I, I think would absolutely be smoothed out by the veteran creator we have nowadays. And, I, I mean, that would be... Amazing! It's it's like the the joy that was uh, Gang Orca appearing in My Hero Academia, yes! yeah. and not being yes. like hugely different, but just being a little more polished. And I was beside myself. He got a workout. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> Look, it's, it's it's like I said in my thread. Like he, th- this is why he has so much experience acting like a villain because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's honestly it's, it's all canon. <laughs> it's really sweet when you think about it because Gang Orca started out as a villain and. But then in, in the course of Omagadoki Zoo, he ends up sort of becoming an uh, anti-hero or a hero. And in My Hero, he actually is a hero. And he's like, he's like gets really sad when little kids are scared of him. And it's like, when you think of it as that story progression, it's really sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like to believe he has a similar backstory in the MHA universe. To his <laughs> I, I was really disturbed to see the characters that were pulled along through the card game uh, into the My Hero Academia universe, just because poor Hannah's like a mind-controlled villain Aww. now. <laughs> She's working for uh, Isana. Mm, that's sad. Um, I guess just kind of transitioning a bit into something I mentioned, something that we all kind of mentioned at this point, but I mean, like, I think it's safe to assume that, like, we all agree that Horikoshi's art, especially like the, his, his like character design work, is like the best thing about this series. Yeah, oh, it's so good. It's so mm-hmm. good. Uh, it it depends on it, the specific it character. Choda the ostrich, which the is, ostrich is the bad. worst. No, that's the pretty ostrich bad. Is bad. <laughs> <laughs> the ostrich is really bad. It is a bad black sambo as caricature that was bad design choice. 
Maxie, didn't you um didn't you mention in your thread that apparently he's like a marathon runner or something? He's a marathon runner. Uh, I only learned this after uh, reading the one shot chapter. He is described by Horikoshi as a marathon runner, which is like I, I get the idea because that's like what Ostriches do. They can run for huge distances at great speed, but it's just it's all super unfortunate. Uh bad stereotyping. Um yeah, bad locations. <sighs> He literally looks like something out of a, like a cartoon from the twenties or thirties or something. Like it's yeah. yeah, yeah, it's it's not super great. It's weird though. Uh, I I think I hate I hated way more of the designs at the start of the series than I did by the end. I think because what like what I was finding kind of gross and repulsive a lot of them. Like I don't like looking at a giraffe. I don't think the giraffe even gets named. <laughs> But it's just its mouth splits down its entire neck. I love the giraffe. It's so creepy. Also, can we talk about a joke of the Union series that's never explored more? It's when like Hana first encounters Sheena. He's like sticking the giraffes through the ass of the elephant <laughs> all the way up through his mouth. Why was he doing that? Like because well, it's fun. fun. Does that work? No, I don't think it was fun for them. They didn't look like they were having fun. <laughs> Well, See, that, that, that's, the, that's the thing. I I don't think Sheena really care. He he doesn't care as long as it's fun for him. That that's his whole character. Yeah, yeah that's kind of another aspect why I didn't super glow on the Sheena uh, personality character wise. His character design is great though, but like his, his personality. Speaking of, um, there's a little uh, thing in one of the volumes where his original uh, personality in the one shot was actually a lot more serious. And yeah. yeah. Mm. Actually, you need to make him a little bit more shonen. No, no, yeah. I mean, you know, I just kind of talking about the one shot a little bit. Like, kind of reading through that, I, uh, it, it's hard for me because obviously I started with the series first, and I haven't read the, I didn't read the one shot until like just recently. Um, but like the the one shot to me, I thought wasn't to me it wasn't as interesting just because like it it was at least. It was one of those things where, like, as a story, I wasn't that interested in it, but as, like, a proof of concept thing, like, yeah. uh, like, a, like, a, like a collection of ideas that were, that we were going to see in, like, the main series, I thought was interesting, you know, stuff like, uh, I think Maxie brought up in their thread, like, the big fusion thing that we kind of see at the end of the one shot is, does get used, yeah. like, near the end of the series, and, yeah. um, I, I will, I will say one thing I actually do like better than the one shot is, um, there are certain pages and moments that are like recreated in the first chapter compared to the one shot kind of wholesale. Um, and I think the one thing that I do like about the first chapter kind of compared to the one shot at least is um, I think Horikoshi's art and, and uh, his like character expressions are way more, I guess, expressive in, in the first chapter. Like they're, they're kind of more in line with, I think, what we're used to from his art today. But uh, I... The, the only other thing I liked about the one shot more than the first chapter is that opening page with Sheena kind of at his desk, kind of interviewing Hana. That page of him just kind of like slamming his foot down, taking the interview as seriously as possible, and how he kind of uses the sound effects to kind of like reflect the impact of that. Like, I think that's a really good page. Yeah. Um, like, I, I think it's a more it's a more interesting and impactful introduction than i think how it was portrayed in the first chapter where he's just kind of like obviously he looks a lot more goofy and like insane and that's that's fun but like i i really like the presence that he gives off in the one shot personally i, I just thought it was interesting yeah yeah that was a good scene in the one shot uh and i do think though in general there was a good art evolution from that one shot to the first oh, yeah. chapter yeah. Uh, like the scene where he's transforming the animal for the first time just like his pose expression there that's that was a good composition on the page and a good illustration. 
Yeah, uh, yeah. So yeah, I think I th- I really do like Trina's design a lot. Character wise, is that in the early chapters he was just so erratic, and there were times he was like lashing out and like bullying other characters, and it was like, man, this guy's a jerk. And, and like there's a, <laughs> such a, a conversation Hannah has to do with Mom, he's like, oh, you just. Don't see his good points. You know, there's a reason we're all with it. And I was he's, like, uh, you know. He's not a bad guy once you get to know him. I know he's a shonen the protagonist. So he does have those good points. But this reads like a, a conversation with someone in an abusive family situation trying to explain, like, why they're still yeah. the, the, a person. Yeah. So that didn't quite work for me. So uh, uh, mentioning the one shot again, though, um, one thing I found funny just throughout the whole series is because I read the one shot first before the series. Mm-hmm. So whenever I think about the circus arc and how it's like at the very end of that, it seems like like uh, Shikama pulling all the, the power from the animals and then Sheena being given that and the transformation. It kind of feels like a cop out when just reading the series. But to me, I'm like, oh, that was from the one shot. I remember that <laughs> when it happened. And I think it's a cool power concept, too, that was introduced. That If the series had gone on, I would love to see the different ways he could have explored that. Mm. Yeah. But yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, I knew, reading it, obviously, I knew that it was not going to ha- end with, like, the animals just never being able to transform their, their humanoid forms again. But, oh, man. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think, it, to me, I felt, even though, yeah, it's a cop-out, but I think it works for what it needed to be as like a moment of like sacrifice. Like, Hey, well, all these characters, they have this bond with Gina. They are willing to give up their humanoid forms to help him defeat Shikuma. And then him lamenting, Oh, I'll never be able to communicate with my friends again. But then turning around and saying, Oh, nope, they're still all there. And so they can (laughs) still spend time together. You know, I think it works. It's sweet. I feel like if it, introduced the concept into the main series at like the end of the aquarium arc it might have actually have lasted better because it's an amazing idea and it's really well executed in the actual series itself like having those two different ways of doing it like be revealed one after the other is it, it it's really strong like it, it it draws you in and i mean we're never really given a clear idea about when authors get told their series are cancelled so maybe it was already too late by then but there's so many things we could have seen out of that that just we don't get to because it, it came so late and the series was done. Yeah, we mm-hmm. just too late to introduce it. I mean, in the last couple of pages of the, the final chapter, he's like introduced, oh, there's this god of curses that is the reason <laughs> yeah. for why everyone... Yeah. Go, go, you and Izana and then Shigumu were all transformed this way and the, he's gonna come for you and then it's like ah well we'll deal with it when he comes and it's like well that you certainly waited a long time to get to that reveal <laughs> we literally last minute we'll deal with it never because we got canceled yeah <laughs> I forgot that happened so like I was rereading it I get to the end and I was like wait what <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, this is the thing and it's one god of curses, because, like, we we are first led to believe, oh, there was this rabbit god that, like, cursed Ashina, and then there was a whale god that cursed Izana, but no, they're all the same god. They're all, like, a big chimera with all these different animal parts. Yeah, what, what, yeah. what's their deal? That reminds me, actually, when I was reading through the series again, um, we, we get to see Isana's, like, full whale form, like, his humanoid whale form, and... I remember looking at that, I'm like, how did he just, like, how, how did he even function? How did he walk around without... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, because he doesn't have 
uh, he doesn't have a proxy like Shakura does to like run the things. Yeah. So before he gained some humanity back, he had to run the full aquarium as a whale <laughs> with arms and legs, which that, that took me right out. Yeah, like how how did he get around? How did he disguise that? Like that's like that's a question they uh, they do not address. Uh, so I don't. It's just supposed to assume it worked somehow. Well, I, I was going to say, I just kind of assumed that, like, uh, maybe Sakamata was the proxy at one point, but we also don't know, like, when he meets him, you know, in, in, in relation to, like, how he starts up the aquarium. Well, Sakamata also doesn't really look very human-like. <laughs> yeah, so he doesn't, he he doesn't to... even have a disguise like Ikaku and I guess that's uh, true, yeah. Fish Killer have. Yeah, so... Okay, Fish yeah. Killer? That can't be his name. Am I forgetting? Maybe what happened is, like, he collected the members of the aquarium first, and then that's some... Maybe... I don't know. <laughs> I don't... It doesn't actually work, considering his personality, why he would revert... It's really hard to no prize it. Yeah, it, it's hard to like when you when you take it apart. It doesn't really stand up. Um, yeah, but it that uh, reminds me of something else too. Um, so multiple times in the series, we're told that Sheena can only like transform everyone a few times because it wears them out, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that's never seen as a problem with with Isana. Like he does this regularly every single day. It seems so. I guess that was like a little indication of how much stronger magically Isana is. Yeah, perhaps. Ooh. I mean, he's he's able to use his magic to make it so that the aquarium glass repairs itself automatically when it gets <laughs> broken. So, you know, I guess he is quite powerful if he can control the environment just uh, uh. instantaneously like that. Well, uh, Sheena does that as well. Yeah, yeah, the bars, bars to uh. each zoo cage. Okay, yeah. Shikuma never has to do that because they're all in a circus. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's the trick. If, if you really want to do it right, you have to run a circus. It's as easy as that. <laughs> With the curse bearer guy collecting, I'm really glad that even though we got introduced to that concept, uh, when Horikoshi got those extra pages in the final volume to do chapter 5102, that he, instead of revisiting that, he just went and like did a victory lap with all the characters. So like, you got to see the, the nice friendly faces and former villain faces and just enjoy that stuff. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. that, that was a, I think that was a mu- lot more upbeat than dealing with a guy who's coming to steal all your love energy. <laughs> yeah. It was yeah. like yeah. an epilogue to give closure to some characters. Like the Aquarian characters, what was going to happen to them? Uh, how is this Aquarian going to run if like they don't have Izana there to run things and keep their human form. So like they, they resolved that and then had some development for Shikuma. So I appreciated that. Yeah, mm-hmm. they, they get like little redemption arcs for everyone or like the potential of a redemption arc. I guess we're already kind of talking about it, but I mean, like I do, I do think the aquarium arc is, I, I think it's the strongest arc personally. I, I, I don't, I don't think I like the circus arc that much personally. I don't know. It just really didn't do anything for me. It has a rushed end in particular, but uh, yeah, I I feel that there are some ideas in that that didn't quite come together. No, yeah. I think I'm in disagreement with you here. Okay, cool. Uh, okay, go, go <laughs> ahead, Maxi. <laughs> so the thing is, is the circus arc is rushed and has to get things out of the way, but the aquarium arc has all the time in the world and has a fight that's resolved kind of cleverly, but takes a while and isn't much of a fight as such. Uh, with the one against the the spider crab and the tuna girl, and then it has another fight 
that only really ends because Ikaku respects the the love energy. Yeah, that was a pretty kind of flimsy (laughs) way to resolve that. I was like, oh, he's just so moved by his chivalry, his one moment of chivalry where he you know pushed what? a wall. Look, look, Ik- Ikaku, he's he's great. I love him. It's chivalry, okay? Come on. It's like, the the, cir- the circus arc is rushed, but it's good. Ikaku was good, but the octopus was not. Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. know. I didn't like that fight very much because first, like, Uwabahami, like, had this thing about, oh, I have, like, sneak uh, I can sense with heat and stuff, and so that's how I'll see you, even though you're invisible. But then she's like immediately defeated, and then the, there's gross innuendo made, and then yeah. uh, you know this idea of chivalrous rescue. Yeah, it was probably the weakest thing. I mean, Uwabami herself seemed kind of a weird place as a character of o- almost being really good, and then just stuff being held back at just a smidge much. Yeah, it's yeah. a problem. Like her entire personality is just rolled around the fact she likes Sheena. Essentially, and also and then, she's yeah. a she's a responsible adult woman who has yeah. to keep everybody in line. And she that's... is the least uh, eccentric, I guess. Yep. So, I do appreciate that. If anyone got the fan service scenes, it was Uobami who was explicitly made an adult. But still, I also think this is a disappointing thing: is that you know there are all these crazy animal character designs, but all the female animals just are mostly humanoid, with like. They have animal kind of costuming, but like they, they mostly just look like human women. Whereas like the and the all the male animals can look like a variety of different creature types. I wonder how much of that was Horikoshi's sensibilities or the editor trying to make the series sell as well. Well I feel like even in MHA there isn't a big diversity in uh the body types of the female characters or design wise, so that's that's fair. Um, my my thing about the animal designs, as much as I adore them, you know, whether or not they're actually like good designs doesn't matter to me personally because I they're always at least interesting, you know. But like, yeah, my my, my thing is. I love how like Horikoshi will go out of his way to like rearrange the anatomy of of these animals and everything to make these really outlandish, interesting designs that you at least like looking at. And then you have characters like Gori Kong, who's just a gorilla. Yeah, Gori Kong is just a gorilla, but now he's a dog. And then Cheetah is a, it's like an anthropomorphic cheetah, but he also is mostly just a normal cheetah. That's just cheetah a is the overweight. best character. I will hear nothing. No slander <laughs> against good. Cheetah. He's Number one, yeah. <laughs> the best. He, he is good. Yeah, I, I did like his introduction character. That was a whole tortoise and uh, the hair kind of race thing. And then I, I do think the the race against the tuna girl was also pretty fun. Even though the resolution did end up being just that she didn't look where she was going. So yeah. just like, <laughs> the, I mean, yeah. the, be- the best thing about Cheetah is that when he discovered that he actually likes running, he spontaneously grew goggles. That is the best head. thing. Yeah. Yeah. They look like ears. ears. Yeah, he, yeah, he has really tiny ears. And he has his goggles all the time and they just slip down on his face. Oh, man. Yeah. I, I love that, actually. one thing that I fun. asked Horikoshi Sensei was well two two things. Uh, I I asked him to bring uh, Shikuma into Hiroaka, but more importantly, 
cheetah. I was like, I noticed. Don't don't think you're you're getting pulling a fast one. I noticed all those Omegadoki characters in Hiroaka. Where is cheetah? And he's like, Oh, you're a cheetah fan. I'm like, I am the cheetah fan. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, and of course that was like four years ago, and we have no cheetah. So (laughs) that reminds me actually. Hawks are my hero. It's supposed to be uh, Takahiro, uh, I believe. But the editors yeah. were like, no one would like him. So imagine a world where instead of Hawks, it's Takahiro. <laughs> <laughs> Takahiro was like my favorite from the zoo side of the characters as well. So man, could have made it. Yeah. He was such a good character. He ended up in one of the movies as like kidnapped. Oh, wow. <laughs> ah. uh, I think my favorite design of all of them, weirdly, is uh, is Fuka, the shark. Oh, oh my god, shark guy. Yeah. yeah. It's so gross and ingenious, like literally just going, more gums and eyes. <laughs> yeah. And that's all you need. His eyes are in his gums. Yeah, that's pretty, yeah, that guy had a creepy design. I liked, yeah, I liked the aquarium animals a lot. I thought they all had, like, very fun and often creepy designs. Like, I thought the spider crab guy was also super creepy. He has crabs for limbs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like that, that, that's the kind of stuff I love about this series. Like I, I talked about this in my thread too. Like I, I, th- I think I like the aquarium designs the most. Probably, like mm-hmm. I think arguably they're probably the most creative. And I do agree with Maxi that like Fuka the shark is my favorite. And like I, I think that's one of my favorite things about some of these designs is that like s- some of Horikoshi's designs just include like just involve. What if people wore just wore these animals? You know, like, yeah. like <laughs> I like how he kind of in, uh, incorporates that sensibility with uh, characters like um, Kisazo, the elephant, and the and the hippo too. Yeah, yeah, I like, yeah, I liked his trunk hoodie a lot. Yeah, uh, though it was so weird, like when you were like, oh, he had a, like a a face, like he was wearing a hoodie over his head, but then that because he used his trunk like a limb, so it's like, wait. Is his trunk so connected to his body then? <laughs> How did he move that before? If it's like, if it actually is like more like a clothing thing, is it actually a limb? I, that confused me when he like un, un, when his hoodie was like taken off. Uh, apparently, the, uh, her crochet she did not want to take off the hood, but his editor was like, no, take it off. <laughs> I liked him better with the hood on. <laughs> I, I think Hudon was good, but it was a neat transformation, and it like it it showed that something the animals can do. But I don't like thinking about the nose. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah the, these designs are definitely. Don't think about it too much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's funny because the the circus designs I think are a lot more like I, I guess sensibly designed. They're more straightforward. Call it. Like they're a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, very straightforward, very clear, and I think they're probably the better designs on a technical level, but they're also not as interesting to talk about yeah. because they are just competent designs. They don't have crab hands. And it's like it's it's like they don't capture the imagination in the same way that a Galapagos turtle whose like shell plates have formed a gross mouth around <laughs> <body>. <laughs> Like yeah. that's way more interesting to talk about, even though it's not super great to look at. <laughs> yeah. I, another design I really like was uh, Kazai the Rhino. Like oh, I just liked yeah. his arm. He was cute. Yeah. 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 I also feel like in terms of personality and shape of his face, like he kind of. I feel like he became Coda in MHA in a sense. I know. Like, yeah. <laughs> just this, they have a same timid, gentle personality. I'd say Coda was a mixture of the Rhino and the Elephant. Hmm. Yeah, I could see that. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I also mentioned the Kisazo and and the hippo too. The the hippo's weird because like one of his limbs is just the hippo head. Yeah, like that, that that's that's the kind of stuff I love. Oh no, they're they're both that. Uh, one one limb's the bottom jaw and the other one's the top. Yeah, yeah. yeah. See, I didn't even notice that. Like he, his head, like his humanoid head, is like coming out of the jaw. See, I I was trying to work out the hippo for ages. I ended up under the impression that above the hippo's head is his tail. And like he would fold his arms round, and so that would mean the human forms looking out of his bum hole. But I didn't think that that can't be the case. Yeah, I was gonna say that. That's just what I assumed too. Which that's really funny. I don't. I don't care what anyone says. <laughs> just don't think about it too much. Yeah, that that that's kind of the thing about this series too. Is that like some some things you just can't think about too much. Like this 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 thing kind of like I I, I mean I don't know like uh. For some people, I think it'll require a lot of, like, suspension of disbelief for some things, depending on how you do with that kind of thing. But, I mean, again, like, that that's the interesting thing about Horikoshi's designs, again, that, you know, uh, I, I think this was something that Maxie and I are kind of differing on in particular. But I, I've come to the conclusion that, like, as much as I love them all, or most of them anyway, and, like, <laughs> they're still interesting to look at, and they're still interesting to think about, but... You know, even I sometimes can be like, well, okay, sometimes you do have stuff like Uabami, who is just an adult woman with snakes, or Gori Khan is just a gorilla. And then some of his designs, you could also argue, are maybe a bit busy, you know? I don't know. So so I, so busy. I recognize that they're not perfect, but... I, yeah. I don't think anyone has ever told Horikoshi, whether here, whether on Barrage, especially on Barrage, and never on My Hero Academia, no one has ever told him too much detail ever <laughs> he's just gone like that this little tchotchke and this little bit and this little bit and it works really well in my hair academia because superhero costumes are absolutely full of that bollocks like and yeah. so it's it's great it's complimentary and in Obagodaki Zoo, it can go either way because i think if that animal lends itself to a lot of detail it's really effective but if there's someone more simple there's parts where it falls apart like it kind of bothers me as, as much as i really like the elephant a lot of time and really like what's going on from the head area and all that stuff uh the midsection is just a, a big curve of a friendly body and that's fine but it kind of makes it feel like all the detail that's in other places is like lost there yeah yeah mm-hmm. uh, so so one little character design thing that i i just noticed in the epilogue chapter when the aquarium folk come back uh, Devilfish, the octopus, is wearing Isana's helmet. Yes. Oh, I was oh, like, it actually, mate, it actually looks so much better like that. Yeah, and like oh. I love that because you know, like octopi do that sort of thing where they cram their bodies into like stuff like that. And he says something like, "This is my bowl" or something like that. And, like, oh, yeah. man, that's such a cool little detail. Like, I ne- I hadn't noticed that until this read through, and I was like. Wow, hey. Nice. Oh, huh. In a single moment, it endeared me to a character I completely hated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you know, actually, that just made me think, and something I was kind of thinking as we got, as, as I got closer to the end of the series. He, here's the thing. Hana's whole thing is that, like, you know, she, she wants, she applies to the zoo to be zookeeper, and her whole thing is that, like, she has this knowledge of animals because she loves animals, do you guys think that part of her character is used effectively or used enough throughout the series at all? Because I don't know if it is, personally. I think when it's used, it's 
used very well when the information's correct. Uh, I was giving out while doing my thread because I, I was really irritated about the information about uh, a tuner's top speed, <laughs> which is off by about 90 kilometers an hour. In yeah. Oh, wow. And and don't get me wrong, the sort of tuner that the girl is, is one of the fastest fish uh, in our records, but just not that fast. <laughs> um, but then you get a lot of other stuff, like the reveal with Shakuma being hinged almost entirely on, hey, this bear's paws are more like a human's than a bear's, was like just a brilliant little bit of animal facts that became like a, a huge hook to introduce us to a big handsome bear man. Yeah! <laughs> Shikima's face without the muzzle looks like uh, Aizawa. Yeah, that's what I was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I got Aizawa and Dobby vibes from. I see that with this kind of the scarring on his face. Speaking of Hana's like character arc, though, I I do think it could have been used more with the the animal facts. Like I like I said, this could have been like the Doctor Stone of animals, but Mm -hmm. yeah, I, I do think it's repetitive because we got Hana's character arc and by the time the circus comes around she's basically overcome all of that but then we get introduced to her classmate and it's the exact same thing Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. I really didn't like Kikuchi at all as a mirror to Hana like because they both doing the exact same thing of getting this job with something they like and using their applied knowledge and everything to become better people. But I don't know if it's because he his character trait is apologizing constantly, uh, whereas Hannah's is doing a clumsy thing that, like, I guess if you do something clumsy, yeah, you do kind of apologize sometimes. He just apologizes a lot and isn't particularly good. That's the sort of thing I would expect a dodgy person pretending to be someone else to do in a manga. Like, my little trope alarm was going off or whatever, going, oh, Kikuchi, secret villain. <laughs> Kikuchi kind of looked like a more depressed Kirishima. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a, yeah. A more depressed Kirishima. He's, it's like if you fused him and Hana, you'd get Izuku. Mm. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't really care about Kikuchi at yeah. all, honestly. <laughs> he, he was he was a good way of asking the questions. Do bears talk? That was, that <laughs> like was he, filled, he filled his role well. Yeah. The other human guy was it Suzuki from the circus? As yeah, well? Suzuki. Um, yeah, I I liked the stuff with him and Toy Toy as long as I didn't think too much about yeah. it. Yeah. It's like, that's how dogs behave with people, you no, know? Yeah, like, yeah. They, they're very needy for attention, and there's nothing funnier to me than oh no, this. This master's giving someone else attention. I must go and do something bigger for attention. I'm on a motorcycle <laughs> yeah. now. I do think that that's one of the most fun parts is like the fight with her on the motorcycle. <laughs> it's it amazing. That, that was a great one. I, I was showing that to my friends and I was like, okay, so let me show you this panel. Snake Lady is trying to get a key from Dog Girl because her friends are in a cage. And See the guy down there? He's the owner of the dog, and now look at his thought level. Oh no, that's kind of hot. His his dog race. No, stop. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I think out of all the circus animal designs, I I thought Toy Toy was the most fun, or at least like the most interestingly designed, because I I, I do agree that like what Maxie was saying earlier that t- te- technically they're all like they make sense, and. Like, uh, they're not, like, bad designs at all, but 
Just compared to what we got from the zoo and the aquarium, the, I, I do think they are less interesting. I like the horse guy a lot, though, actually. Rodeo. I really like his design, but I don't like him as a character at all, no, especially like, because, he, like... I mean, his character arc, his his archetype would is fine as a villain, and then maybe, like, since they kind of joined forces the end, he'd improve after that. I think I, I know far too many self-righteous vegans <laughs> to find, like, uh, a herbivore supremacist to be that link more. Yeah. <laughs> I, I say this with my brother in like the other room who is a vegan. <laughs> I also think design wise the tiger was also Yakov. Pretty- yeah. Yeah. Yakov is great. I was gonna say he he's my favorite. who who wouldn't love a tiger with tonfuzz? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I I'm slowly working towards uh, a cosplay of Yakov. Oh, oh holy awesome. shit. Oh my god. Because I, I have an acquaintance who wants to get a uh, a circus group together, and oh, I was man. like, Ooh. I was like, oh no, I want to make the tiger. God, you have to post pics. We have yeah. to see this. Like, That's that, awesome. I don't know when, when I'll get to it, but I, I love him. I love that he's like just crazy, and he like he can only like, oh, I've got two orders. I'm gonna follow one of them. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm gonna kill you. Wait, I need to get you. Wait, you know. And then he's got one really Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Really yeah. Uh, his his muzzle at the end as well, because he still can't be trusted. Yeah. <laughs> That's so uh, great. I think if I ever cosplayed someone from this series, I'd really love to go into uh, Michinoke's clown makeup where if he turns his head to the left, yes. it becomes a face. Yeah. yeah. That's so. It's so gross. I love it. <laughs> I, lo- I really like Michinoke's design, honestly. It's, uh, actually, yeah, I'll say this, as good as the animal designs are, uh, Michinoke's is probably my favorite of the series. Oh. Okay, yeah, I, I like his design too, I just wish, again, a, a symptom of uh, ending prematurely, I, I I feel like we could have done more with him, like, yeah. I didn't, mm-hmm. I, I thought his character wasn't super interesting, unfortunately. I think the revelation of, oh, he was trying to protect the animals all this time, that's why he was acting so cruel, I think that could have been next year a little he's, better, like, it makes sense. JK hat. Yeah, the design is good, I think, especially for an antagonist design, it was very good, and then transforming yeah, yeah. that. Yeah, I, th- I think it was... I like the design a lot. I think the character, the the execution of like the reveal, like, no, he was actually a good guy all along. Would have uh, could have been a little smoother. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, because clowns are our friends. We all know this deep down. <laughs> yeah, Michinoka's design makes me think he, uh, that he's like a relative of Buggy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, but he's wearing Tony Tony Chopper's hat, so it's like <laughs> he, he's like he's like his second cousin or something. <laughs> <laughs> like, except uh, Michinoka was scarier than Buggy ever was. Mm-hmm. That's that's oh, yeah. fair. Yeah, he is a lot creepier. You never see Michinoke in a giant like puffy suit to make himself look bigger to his minions. <laughs> <laughs> I always think it's a shame we didn't get more color art for this series mm-hmm. because oh, man, the covers yeah. to the volumes are really satisfying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually remember like long ago, and I might be wrong, but I remember a interview with Horikoshi saying he struggled a lot with coloring of markers. Which is why a lot of the My Hero covers are digital. Mm. Okay, interesting. Mm. But like, if, if you went on his Pixiv back when it still existed, uh, most of the art on there was digital. And it had some really, really amazing art on there. But like when you compare it from his traditional art at the time, it was obvious that his uh, digital was way better. But I don't think 
at the time, digital was a common thing in Shonen Jump? Uh, it depends, to be honest. Uh, it definitely wasn't regularly embraced, but I think the issues it was causing a lot of people uh, until relatively recently is that your assistants often are only traditionally trained in art because uh, they're still learning, so digital might not be at all in their kit at the moment. So that's always been my impression, is it depends a lot on who you're working with. And... I don't know, because you had uh, Masashi Kishimoto doing Naruto. He started doing digitally coloured covers, starting from about volume 6 of that series, and did more and more digital art alongside traditional art for the series, uh, pretty much from the quote-unquote Shippuden era of the comic onwards. So, like, it did happen, but, I mean, people still really like doing traditional art, uh, especially for colour, because, you know... People love Copex. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I guess while we're kind of on the circus arc, I guess, um, we were kind of talking about the ending earlier. And I mean, you know, I remember when I first, when I finally actually got around to like reading the ending of this series, you know, I feel like a lot of the emotional beats with us kind of like, kind of seeing a bit more of Sheena's past and like how we came to like gather up all these animals and become friends with him. Oh, and, and his first friend is Takahiro. It's so, nice. it's so cute. Um, <laughs> You know, it's, and I, I don't know, like, I, I think a lot of that stuff hit me a lot more the first time I read it, but revisiting it, n- not that it's not good, but, like, it's one of those things where, like, because we were also talking about Ashina and, like, him being the way he is because he is a child who hasn't developed past being a child, basically. It's like we were saying earlier, he's he's basically kind of like Shigaraki in that sense. Like, his development is very stunted, and... You know, that's kind of why he is the way he is. But the animals all love him because, you know, he gave them a home and he's still like compassionate and everything. And I think. And I mean, they don't have a formal education either. (laughs) Exactly. Neither Um, does he. No, yeah. Exactly. Um, But I I think that's the thing, though. Like, I do think if the series were allowed to keep going, like, I I guarantee that, like, I think Horikoshi would have at least done his best to, like, convince us even more that like hey sheen is a good person and you should like him and and all that yeah because otherwise like i like i i feel like all that stuff we get about his past kind of at the end like the very little that we got unfortunately like you you could tell that like he was kind of like saving that stuff up for maybe for the people who like weren't convinced that sheen is cool and you should like him or whatever yeah i mean i think these were relationships with the other animals that he was going to explore further for and like more fleshed out flashbacks but yeah i mean i i think the idea of his character of like that he is like an arrested child and that he was also just alone like after that transformation and he just formed a community he just reached out to other you know also lonely animals animals that like were just kind of abandoned in a certain way and then he brought them all together and they created like a, a found family like i think that's a fine idea i think in uh i think i wish like the his personality hadn't crossed so like uh flippant and oftentimes uh uh cruel to some of his uh, friends or in the earlier chapters like again with that whole sticking the giraffe guy 
head up the, the elephant? Like, <laughs> yeah. you do that, and then, like, how violently he can, like, yell or lash out. Like, when Hana hits him in the back head with a broom, like, he just super yells at her, and then he gets, like, really angry at uh, Cheetah when he thinks, like, Cheetah's, like, bat-talking him and stuff like that. So I get that he's childish, but there were a lot of times where he came across as just a, a little too extreme and how kind of mean he could be to other people or how insensitive he could be to, to other people. But yeah, I mean, it, it makes sense, but it, it was just a barrier to me for, like, fully liking the character, even though I understood what Horikoshi was trying to go for. Yeah. But uh, I do think also it would have been interesting just to explore more uh, as the series goes on, like, the the, the reasons why the, the transformation back into human form happens. Because I think it's very clear, like, in the distinction made between Sheena and Azana, like... Sheena's uh, transformations back, like his reversion back to human form, kind of happens after he forms like kind of a mutual connection uh, between like himself and like his animal companions or also demonstrates like kind of a deeper understanding of animals to other people, like when the uh, investor and his kid visit the circus and stuff. And then the re- I think the reason why Izana was having, you know, some reversion back and using Orion's door he was just such a monster was because he was promoting that understanding between humans and animals through the aquarium but the reason why he couldn't get that last step into reverting whereas even without an audience to begin with like uh, Sheena was starting to revert was that he himself did not have any respect or love or understanding of his animals and just treated them like tools and like uh, things and that's why he couldn't get that last spec back to his reversion so I think, like, I got a sense of what Corkish was going for with that idea and, like, that what triggers the transformation back and how that would develop. But, yeah, like, I think that could have been explored more. And that could have also helped uh, tie into Sheena's development as a character and his uh, growth and maturity as a character, too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I think, I thought the theory was fairly clear there as it's all as to how you interpret what's being demanded by the curse maker about like running the the ideal zoo aquarium circus or whatnot because it's asana interpreted that as purely being success and went for that and got a lot of power back through the idea of success but it was at the cost of the animals themselves so there was essentially a lacking bit of humanity behind how he was approaching things that was preventing him from achieving humanity uh, whereas Sheena's slowly getting it, because rather than focusing on running a financially successful zoo, it's running a very viable one, uh, especially if you look at how actual zoos run and the sort of problematic aspects there. One where the animals have a lot of freedom and are treated kindly and uh, as if they are like the most valuable parts of the zoo experience, which they are. Also running a successful zoo, as much as it's about people being there, it's also about just having animals who are cared yeah. for. Yeah. And like that, that was the the key difference, and that, I think that's why also the you know the the change. It's slow, but it's uh, it seems like very permanent and pleasant sort of inches to it. You know, like he's getting his his nice his nice arm back. Uh, it's interesting because whenever uh, Sheena has a transformation moment, like not with like the little things, it's always a full, complete transformation back for a single second. Like he is on the cusp of uh, uh, following those guidelines, he just doesn't understand what they really are. And I think that's what really prevents him from it. Yeah. I mean, I think, like, the common thing that triggered the curse, like, the white reason why I curse is, like, some form of disrespect 
uh, Sheena and Azana had shown to animals that like had them run afoul of the gods. And the god like said like, "Hey, you create this sanctuary that promotes understanding between human and animals." And then, by doing that and creating like a successful like zoo, circus, whatever, then you'll revert back to human. You'll break your curse. And then at the end of the series, he's like, "Hey, like, show me the power uh, of like, you know, that of borns through love and whatever this curse, magical power born of love, or whatever between humans and animals." So I think that's kind of idea is like. They, what they need to learn essentially like Bokshina and I was just that you know I guess deeper respect for uh, other living things or animals in this particular instance and like uh, Sheena was definitely having that and he's definitely demonstrating that and promoting like understanding uh, whereas Asana like he externally was creating this environment where like all these animal aquarium animals are coming together and people were like interacting with him and stuff but he couldn't get that last step at community because he himself did not you know, have that own love and understanding for them. I always think it would be really tragic after seeing that flashback with Sheena as, uh, as a kid, is if this did like a certain other series have done and revealed all the animal stuff was just like the sad delusions of a child. There's definitely room for that sort of ending, uh, you know? No. It's just no. like, turn, turns out, kid's still lonely. Oh, no. Uh, a hawk picked him apart in the woods. That, that, Reminds me, actually. So we know that Sheena, throughout the entire series, is, like, completely unreliable with anything that isn't, like, fighting. <laughs> yeah. So how the fuck did he make a zoo? I guess they all just came together, and uh, maybe it was really more the, the... Maybe they just found an abandoned zoo when they just took it over. Because I can't see him going to management or somewhere in the city and being like, Hey, this is a zoo now. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't. I wonder if it is even a registered. I probably is not. They just probably yeah, because like no one really knows it's there. So it's it's it is definitely like a secret zoo. He's just squatting on. Yeah, I mean that could have been conflict at some point. Is that they realize, oh, you actually did not get like a zoning license from the city to, to build a zoo here. You didn't get any property. Uh, see, rights. That, that's when they could have had a prototype of Eda. They could have had a bureaucrat turn up pushing up his glasses. <laughs> this isn't up to code. Yeah. <laughs> have him come in. The zoo is not up to code. Oh my god, like... (laughs) Constantly throwing his hands around. (laughs) I mean, I guess by the the end with the circus help that that is now fixed, but... Yeah. Where do do they even get the funds? They they keep saying that they're running low on funds, but where are you even getting the funds? I got the sense they got food by scavenging, but... Yeah. yeah. I mean, I guess they're barely paying people to begin with. Like, they only pay Hannah, like, a, what, 100 yen an hour? It's, it's like, <laughs> they don't have much money. Like, they just, I think they just get food from this something. Yeah, yeah you know, and I, I wonder, like, how does he get these animals? Because, like, you see him in Africa getting shishido. I guess Takahiro just carried everyone everywhere across yeah, like, the oceans. Yeah, how'd you get there? How'd you get <laughs> back? Like, with a lot. <laughs> I mean... I guess I'm just not gonna think about it too much. <laughs> no, yeah, just, just don't. Oh, it, yeah. it, this is this is the mystery science theater three thousands <laughs> of uh, of manga. Like you have to just relax and let it just be a comic. You know, like if you think about it, you lose your mind. <laughs> yeah, it, it's just when you try and think too hard, it's like it all falls apart like a little deck of cards. Mm, yeah. No, for sure. Um, can I just say I really enjoyed uh, kind of talking about. Uh, Isana and Sheena uh, and kind of like comparing them to each other and like how they run things and everything. And I think Isana is an interesting character 
when you put him up against Sheena, but I'm just going to say I'm really glad that once My Hero Academia started up, I think Horikoshi has come a long way in terms of like writing actually really interesting like villain antagonist type characters. Oh yeah, yeah. like you would you would never see a, ta- a character take as lacking in nuance as a teenager fires revolver at whale in the distance. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah, it, that wouldn't happen in My Hero Academia. <laughs> yeah, now. and the the thing is, I can totally believe that some sort of weird sociopathic rich kid no, would do yeah. that, but it's just very weird as an origin story. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty shallow as, like, an origin story. It's like, uh, yeah, this one event was what triggered it. It could have been a, something a little more detailed. Exactly. Like, that's kind of my least favorite thing about this series, out of everything, out of anything, is that all the, like, the two, like, two or three villain characters that we get... Michinoke, it kind of looks like a villain at first, but then, you know, again, we have that twist with Shikuma. Um, you know, Isana, again, was just some rich asshole kid who just liked to shoot whales, I guess, because he could. And then Sh- Shikuma's was, uh, to me, less interesting because, again, we have that twist where it's like, oh, Michinoke is the, pr- is, is the proxy for the zoo. And Shikuma was just this bear guy who came and was like, I'm going to take over the zoo now. And that and it just kind of went from there, you know, or... Hmm. What, what did I say? Yeah, circus. <laughs> we're, we're forgetting what all our attractions are. The thing is, right, Shakuma gets his comeuppance because when he gets his human face back by being kind, he immediately scratches it with his big old bear claw. <laughs> so that's karma. I, and I love that scene where he's like, uh, yeah, for this, uh, thanks. Like, he's so awkward. I, I love Shakuma. I love him. I wish there'd been more time, but he's such a good right? character. I think like, there's a good character in there, yeah. 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 And it's like, he's like, oh, well, I guess being nice wasn't all it's cracked up to, ow. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But honestly, I think the most complex character in the entire manga is Sakamata. Yeah. Kind of, yeah. 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 Surprisingly, uh, usually when he's quieter as well, like when he's talking a lot, first of all, I hate it. I'm not super good at Japanese. Nagoya dialect is kind of a pain. (laughs) So, uh, so he was a bit of a crash course in that sort of stuff. Um, (laughs) Thank, thank, again, thank God, uh, Scanlation's largely banned, but when I get stuck on things, at least I know there's like a middlingly translated version out there I can poke my head at and go, that'll do, and yeah, move on. I, I yeah, just... no, I will say the Scanlation, I, I want this to get an official translation, especially Please. because that Scanlation is not Yes. Yeah. 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 Hey, not not uh, not only do that, but also pay the incredibly talented people we know to do. Please yes. do, yes. Let me work on it, please. I would love it if Caleb could get this. I, I've tried, guys. I've tried. <laughs> oh. I can believe it. Let's blame it on the ostrich. Actually, Although actually, I also yes. think... I, I mean, I can't say that's the reason, but like, I I was like, come on, you know, Hiroaka's real popular. You you gotta do all the Horikoshi. Come on. And like, yeah, people will like flip through the first couple pages and they're like, what is that? And I'm like... Uh-huh. <laughs> We can Literally the opening it. color page is like, nope. do the effort of like taking out Popo's lips in Dragon Ball, they can do it with Shoda. He's in even less scenes. Yeah. Didn't they do that recently with Shaman King? He, uh, yeah, I could answer to that with all the Shaman King. Yeah. A really brilliant job, actually, on the edit. Viz's job back in the day was kind of passable, but Kadansha, for all that their digital version was kind of weird and reused like half of Viz's translation, but also didn't. 
uh, it, it's still really good on the edits. Uh, I also like to think another one of the reasons is because uh, I don't know how much people remember this because I certainly try to block this from my memories. But My Hero Academia had a a parody version about three years ago now uh, by Antarctic Press called My Hero Magadamia. <laughs> and oh. it was about exactly oh, what you think. And it was God, awful. Yes. And you know, if you bring over a series called Oh Maga Doki Zoo... <laughs> What? Oh. You know they're going to do it again. I mean, you can translate Omaka Doki into an, uh, in another word, like Twilight Zoo or something like that. Uh, you can't take that risk, like, even outside of the the political propaganda of it all. Oh. Uh, it was just a really bad comic, so it's... I've seen some listings out there for, like, I, I'm assuming, like secondhand copies for like Japanese volumes where they where they just call it like crazy zoo or something and I'm just like <laughs> I think that's yeah another localized version in another country crazy zoo loses the implication of the title of like the twilight hour crazy zoo. hour crazy zoo come and ride the crazy yeah, there's zoo there's other things um I uh, what was it I, I picked up on it and I felt really proud of myself because I feel like I just like saw the matrix for a second <laughs> Uh, when in the fight against Asana, Sheena bashes in his head with like a big final attack, mm-hmm. and he's saying, "Oh God, I've gone past it. Where is it? Stupid Fred. Here we go. Uh, get bigger, please." Um, he he doesn't say that. That's me trying to make the image bigger. He says, "Uh, Hekome," and the way it's stacked in the bubble is Heko, which looks like a rabbit's head, and then Meh, which looks like. Two arms, one of which is doing a peace sign. That's amazing. And you can't recreate that. <laughs> translate like that's that. That's a beautiful moment of someone just like looking at Japanese and saying, "I reckon I can make a rabbit doing a peace sign for this page where he hits an enemy with a peace sign." <laughs> and he did it. And it's like, you, you, it's not even worth it at that point. You you can't lose that. It needs <sighs> to be. That, that is amazing. Um, for, first off, ra- rabbit peace. Um. Great, great ultimate move. But very glad he got the katakana right and didn't accidentally make it rabbit head. <laughs> um, and also, um, yeah, the, just talking about the scanlations for a bit. Yeah, this is the scanlations for this uh. are a textbook example of why direct translation is not the way to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like like at not, all, <laughs> not punching up the dialogue with excessive profanity and slurs too is pretty bad. 2010 Scanlation is just full of hate crimes. It's kind of horrific. <laughs> yeah, it's bad. Like, this is the kind of series, like, I'm not gonna lie, like, I really, I really wonder what an actual properly translated version of this, like, I, honestly, I think, I think it would add to the experience. Like, I, I think if, I oh, think yeah, if you got like, a good translation on this, uh, you know, uh, with, with just a, just a touch of adaptation here and there, you know, I, I think it could be really good. And I think the dialogue would, like, Having actual good dialogue, good written dialogue for this, I think would really like uh, enhance the experience of reading this because there was a. I'm not gonna lie, like reading the scans for this, you know, it did kind of hamper my enjoyment of this a little bit. Yeah, unfortunately, mm-hmm. it's a bad time. It's like when you think why we like put so much of a focus on going through the legal means whenever possible. It can't be said enough. A lot of the time, even if you were to remove the entire moral argument, which admittedly is like the thing, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, what you're ultimately left with is sometimes just, just shit. It yeah. really is. Like, and- I, I mean, so uh, so ages and ages ago when Siren was first running in Jump, I was reading the scans because, you know, it was 
12 years. I don't know how long ago. You know. It was a long time ago at this point. Yeah. Yeah, I got to a point and I was like, this series is kind of crap. (laughs) And then later I started working on the official version. I was like, no, this series is really, really good. The translation was just god awful. And it didn't make any sense. <laughs> and it's just one of those, like, it's the clearest case of, like, wow, this series sucks. No, it doesn't. It's actually amazing. You get so much of that. Um, like, one, one of my old cohorts back in the Manga Helpers days did translations for the entirety of, like, Hellteacher Noob and Boba Bo and stuff. And um, an amazing accomplishment. And you can still look up, like, the, the text versions of all of these on the Manga Helpers site, which is great uh, if, if you want to read translated things but not go to, like, scan aggregators. Yeah translations why not but they are so hyper literal completely unadapted (laughs) that like some of it is has a reputation there are kinikuman fans who are very very against these translations being the way they are and yet they still don't understand that's why adaptation matters they just think they're bad and it's like yeah but think about why they're bad yeah ask yourself yeah Yeah. that boba boba translation is just so often too much trying to match the Japanese that it's like sometimes incomprehensible to read, which is why I much prefer Wiz's uh, adaptation of it. That makes me worried about doing an episode on it at some point. I've never read the Bobo manga, but I know that the anime, they kind of just said screw it with the, the script because they knew most of the puns and stuff would not translate, and so they just kind of made it up as they went along and yeah. that felt a lot No, they invented fun. a lot of stuff that's really funny. Yeah, like they kept mm-hmm. the story the, the, anime the is same. maybe one of the best but... dub jobs ever because of that. And the fact you can now get the dub and the subs together on <laughs> yeah. like one collection is a thing of utter beauty. You can watch a really good, well-translated version of the sub with like an insane amount of subtitles uh, on Blu-ray now. Thank God for discotheque, yeah. yeah. Viz did a really good job for the one arc that they did as a single volume for Bobo Bo. Uh, the, the five volumes they did afterwards were kind of middling because they had to meet magazine deadlines. Mm. I but, mean, they like, proved after oh. they didn't do the deadlines because they only did like the the Giga arc in the magazine, and then after that, they did the reverse, the third Empire arc in the in just as well. Did did they get to the end of that before they cancelled? No, yeah, it? they finished the third Empire arc, and then of okay. course in that volume, oh. it's like just a little bit of the new Emperor playoffs, but they didn't continue it. So unfortunately, yes, in the Viz release, you don't even go past where the anime did. Well. Okay. It's because we all got really excited about the standalone volume, and the second they said, we're continuing from here instead of the start, uh, nobody bought it, and we kind of screwed ourselves over. Yeah, it's like just, just volume 11, not even the start of the gig arc, they should have taken that from volume 10. It's, it's unfortunate. But this is a, this is a Boba Boba podcast, we'll save that for another day. <laughs> Although I will say that the, the, uh, the, on the subject translations, those PDFs that... Uh, more did for the sub version instead of actually putting English subtitles on the Japanese uh, version. Oh. Uh, those PDFs are like mach- they feel like machine translations. They are like so literal, unadapted at all, like completely incomprehensible. Even if you wanted to print out those PDFs to try and read them as you watch the show, you'll barely understand anything. And I, I, I will, I attest because as someone who owned those DVDs and tried to do that and could not. <laughs> That was one of the most disappointing things in my entire life, I'll be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, before this b- becomes a Bobo Bo podcast, one one day we will talk about Bobo Bo. But um, I just want to say about the scans for uh, Omagadoki Zoo um, that one of my favorite things about them is uh, <laughs> is something that uh, I definitely probably thought was funny as a teenager, but now I just kind of roll my eyes at, is, um, is when we get to 
Shishido's first appearance, and he starts fighting Sheena, and how he finishes him off with uh, as uh, an attack that the scans call the rabbit bitch slap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which uh, I, I did. I did ask about this, and. Because I think the the attack is literally called like rapito binta or something, which I guess binta literally just means a slap in the face. Like it's mm-hmm. they yeah. they, re- they really like punched they they really like to punch some things up, but yeah. like yeah, it's so bad. <laughs> I like posting that one panel out of context just for the hell of it because it's really funny. <laughs> um, speaking of the the translation though, one thing that I think would be interesting if they'd be able to like get it across in official translations is how uh omagadoki and even the other the zoo, um the circus and the aquarium they all have that one character in their name that is normal but then when it becomes like the witching hour the character turns into like meaning ghoul or ghost or something in, mm-hmm. in the title and that's just never comes across they, it's like a little translation note and then it never comes up again Mm-hmm, yeah. Honestly, like, if this ever did get picked up by Viz, which, b- by the way, if, if future Colton is listening and Omagadoki Zoo has been picked up by Viz, first off, good job. Uh, <laughs> but, um, yeah, see, I don't, I would love to see how they handle this series because, like, you know, like, for example, I, just a hypothetical here. I would really love to see like what Caleb would be able to do with this in particular. Like if any, if, if if there's anybody I would trust to like handle something like this, it would be either Caleb or Steven, just personally Mm -hmm. speaking. Um, I, I I think either of them could do a really good job with this because like there, there, there is a lot of wordplay here and there that like the translators notes try their best to explain, but like really just doesn't come across if you translate them directly at all. Yeah. Um, I think one of my favorite ones being, um, and I, I'm not even going to bother trying to explain it because I, I don't know enough Japanese to do so. But uh, that that one moment where the sponsor that was sponsoring the aquarium at first and now is looking into Omakadoki Zoo in that one chapter with his kid or whatever, and th- he's having a conversation with Hana that like leads her to do the Iyami pose or whatever, which is just it's a nice little yeah. reference, but. I I would love to, because there's a lot of wordplay in that chapter in particular as well. I would love to see, like, what an official translation would do with that in particular. Uh, but, yeah, I, basically, uh, scans, are, scans are usually pretty bad. Um, but I, I will <laughs> say, one credit I will give is, because obviously, like we mentioned earlier, uh, you know, this it was being done by one group, and then I think they eventually dropped it, and then someone else picked it up. I, I at least like the work they did for the last volume or so. I really wish the rest of the series could have at least gotten that, but obviously that's, yeah. just, that's just not how things worked out. Mm-hmm. I did notice I was of a better quality than the previous ones. It's definitely better than what the first group started off with, but it's still not like it's obviously it's it's not the best, but still better. Um and, and, and also better better scan of the pages too, I think, because Yeah. Working from the volume instead of the jump fishes. Which I'm so glad I invested the money in like getting the digital versions of this because man, I obviously as a teenager, I didn't know because like when because I, you know, I remember when like Shonen Jump first started up doing like uh, their simultaneous releases and like their digital magazines or whatever. And like that comparison going around of like that one page from One Piece where it's like, like the arc coming down on Fishman Island, like the difference between the 
the scan quality and the picture quality is like night and day. And I kind of went through that same thing going from the scan versions of Omakadoki Zoo to the digital versions that I bought on Bookwalker. Like, the art looks so much better. Um, <laughs> the things that were done with contrast back in the days of scans uh, in in the 10, like early 10 specifically, because uh, it would all be scanned in from a magazine, the pages would be really yellow and see-through. Uh, so to correct that, they would mess with the contrast massively, and they would basically, uh, they would do, like, burn effects on the image as well, which is why characters like Ikaku, uh, whose face is black, with black eyes, uh, just completely yeah. melted away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, his sure. design is, yeah, it really got lost. The digital volumes, I can't recommend it enough. If you, if you have a Bookwalker account in English, it also works in Japanese, go to Bookwalker Japan, they are incredibly reasonably priced, like they're literally a couple of quid a volume, that is pretty much how Japanese comics works most of the time. And you don't get everything you get in print, you don't get the inside covers, you don't get the next volume previews, and you don't get the author comment, which I, I always like that, I love the author comment on the inside flap, it's one of my favourite things. I didn't even notice that, actually, yeah. Yeah. Uh, volumes nowadays have them. When Jump started doing digital volumes, they really didn't want to at all. So they, I don't want to say they half-assed it, but they absolutely half-assed <laughs> it because they did not want to invest in that. And so even with that in mind, it's still a good deal. And it also means if you're the sort of person who has to look at scans to read it, which a lot of people are, you're at least putting some money towards the actual work by just buying it. You don't have to read those volumes. They're digital. They're ephemeral. They're not real. You can read them if you want to. Good time. But, like, at least you've put down the money. Mm-hmm, for sure. So, highly recommended. Just seeing as we've talked about scans that much, that's my sales pitch. <laughs> that's that's yeah. why I bought the manga volumes. Uh, honestly, like, I have the physical copies of the manga volumes, and I don't know about the digital scans, but there's a lot of little things in the, in the manga volumes that... I just have never seen posted online, like little character details, like the giraffe guy. I think he actually and a few other characters get like a little intro in one of the middle pages of the volumes. Like he gets a name. I can't tell you what it Mm. is, but I'm pretty (laughs) sure he gets a name. (laughs) I I want to say I I wish I had actually been smart and not deleted all the volumes off of my iPad to start finish reading them. Uh, but it was on the same set of tiny profiles where I learnt that uh, the ostrich is a marathon runner. <laughs> that that might have been it. Um, but I got it off of Amazon Japan while I was on sale, and I used a proxy to get it. So if I can get it, you can probably get it. Well, I mean, even... I don't think it's necessarily available in print now. I'll, I, I will double-check this while we're talking, because that's a good thing I mean, do. I bought it, like, two years ago. It wasn't that long ago oh maybe, maybe they're keeping it up then maybe uh, yeah. but you don't really need to use proxies on amazon japan anymore uh i've ended up stuck using it to get my volumes of the ninth wave which is a shonen sunday series that literally nobody reads <laughs> except <for me. laughs> uh and like that it, it works out fairly well it can have a fair bit of shipping but when you if you were to compare the shipping for buying five volumes to buying five volumes in english it actually kind of works out the same which is novel in its own way uh, and so yeah, I I I think you you can get the print. It looks like I don't know if that's through secondary sellers, but it looks like there's actually multiple ways of just buying the five volume set for about two thousand two hundred uh, yen, which is 
I want to say about 18 quid. Okay, I was going to say that's like roughly $20 probably, which, you know, I, I think that's about how much I spent. 15 pounds. I think that's about how much I spent buying the digital versions on Bookwalker, because Book, Bookwalker sells Japanese volumes for like three, four bucks or something, like significantly cheaper than, yeah. Uh, $20, $20 flat, pretty much. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, I, I would also say as far as the digital version goes, like, you know, we've... Uh, I, I think when we had On Takahashi on the podcast, he, he talked about how like basically manga could like receive more royalties from digital compared to print. So mm-hmm. if if you if you care about how much money that these people make from their stuff, you know, just keep that in mind. But uh, I mean, I mean, it's all good. Like if you can support this somehow officially, like we obviously urge you to do so. And and like I could just speak for myself. Like I very rarely read scans anymore because like there's just so much license nowadays. But the very few times where I do have to read scans for things, like I, you know, personally, I, I feel like I should at least buy a few volumes via Bookwalker because I, I know most of that money is going to go back to the people who make this stuff. So, you mm. know. Yeah, it, it's just, it's a good way of paying it forward. It's really weird. Uh, searching Omegadoki Zoo on Amazon Japan, it gives you a bunch of options for getting that digitally or in print. Uh, Barrage Volume 1, the My Hero Academia Ultra Analysis data book. Volume 28 of My Hero Academia, and also the second volume of Ziga, if you remember yeah. that series. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I don't know why it's come up as an option along with the others, but that's fantastic. <laughs> that's, that's interesting. <laughs> Call that an option. Mm. <laughs> like, the only other manga that I would try to read scanned is only because I it's just not available. Um, either, it's a lot harder to get, like, I show 21, there's like 30 volumes, and and volumes in America are really expensive. So I want to read it sometimes, but I just, I need to save up the money to buy them. Or like really obscure series like uh, Sahara the Sa- uh, Sunflower Samurai, if anyone's heard of that oh, one. Oh, yeah. 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 I actually, my friend bought me the volume uh, in Japanese and sent it to me. So I actually have that, but I I, I can't read Japanese. But I'll, that's, right. that, uh, but that's fun, far on balance as it goes. Like Yeah. And f- Fun random aside, too. Uh, the author follows me on Twitter. Oh, nice. Isaka <laughs> nice. Shibata? Holy shit. Yeah, I drew fan art for the series when the final chapter came out, the scanlation, and I tagged him, and he's been following me ever since. Oh, oh wow. Awesome. It stresses me out so much when creators do that, though. Like, I'm I'm followed by the writer of Shrink, and I don't feel like I can talk about Shrink oh. anymore, because if I get anything wrong, I'm going to disappoint <laughs> yeah. them. Yeah, I mean, I guess I have the advantage of I don't... You know, I don't know if he speaks English, but he's like it's been six or so years, and he's still there. And I've not mentioned the series, and I've completely gone off the rails with manga lately. So I guess he's fine with it. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe he just appreciates your art. Maybe I've never seen him like my art. <laughs> I was gonna say, look, your your art's great. Like if if it yeah. wasn't, I I literally wouldn't have bought it on a t shirt if I didn't think so. So <laughs> thanks. Seriously, that uh, that Ochiko's shirt is probably like one of my favorite T-shirts. Actually, I'm very proud of that one. Still, I, I've just I've just got caught up looking at this uh, this Jump Giga series you guys are all about by uh, Yusaku Shibata because I didn't even really know about it. That looks rad as heck. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's an assistant for for this series. He was an assistant for Sunflower Samurai. He was assistant for Oda and Horikoshi. Yeah. yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah, and also for uh, Kojiyoshi, the guy who does uh, Tomatoy Poodle, mm. uh, like <laughs> yeah, uh, on Inamura Dashi. Oh wow! 
which isn't nearly as no- notable, but I'm really happy about that because I, I love Indemaru Dashi. <laughs> um, the, the assistants on this series are actually kind of interesting because you get a couple of special guests, and I wanted to make sure I mentioned these. So the, the big one is Haruichi Furudate, who his first series was cancelled the week before Omogadoki Zoo began. So it's actually kind of nice to know that he like hopped on to help out with this at times, like just, just to keep busy before Haikyuu, you know? Uh, and then the other one was Yuto Sukura, who is the writer of Shonen Shiku, which ended about a month or two before Omogoroki Zoo began, uh, and then went on to, of course, be the writer of Shokugeku. Uh, Shokugeki no, 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 no I know how to speak. Ah, yeah. <laughs> uh, actually, I was going to say Shokugeki no Sanji. Oh, you know, the good oh, one. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've still not read that. I'm scared. <laughs> I've only read the first one of them. I really should check this, them out. Yeah, I like the second and third chapters a lot. I think uh, they become progressively sweeter. I was going to say, the second and third chapters are way better than that first one, personally yeah. speaking. I'm just scared because that series is known for kind of horny stuff and it's Sanji. Yeah, but actually, it's Sanji at his best in that in uh, Shokugeki no Sanji. Like he's at he really more is gentlemanly. Actually, yeah. Like he's like in his early. Uh, it makes sense because it also takes place in like East Blue or, or like early series era. But he his characterization reflects that, so he's not as much as like that kind of. Horny Early Sanji was so. And good. actually, there isn't a ton of fan service in the second or third chapters either. So it's actually just focusing. Yeah, like I really like Sanji. I was just like with not Sanji sure. as a cook. I was gonna say if you were turned off by the first one, def- definitely check out the second and third one. Those are a lot better. Yeah. Okay. Um. But I, yeah, I thought you were gonna say Maxi. Yeah, he 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 went on to create Sanji. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, Oda, Oda doesn't doesn't create Sanji anymore. Oda just has someone who looks a lot like Sanji. <laughs> oh boy! Um, but no, th- those were really. I I did not expect to see Sukuda or Furudate in in either of these. Like that, that's really interesting. And and talking about Yusaku Shibata, um, you know, I I went back through the volumes and I kept trying to look for his name, but like his name doesn't pop up until like the very last volume, which I thought was interesting. At least not as far as I could find. Yeah, probably came in at the tail end of the series. Yeah, no, he he's uh, a very late appearance. I want to say it's volume four and five. Mm-hmm. I saw him in volume five specifically, so mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, and there was also another one who went on to work for a different magazine doing a digital sports series, and I, I think I actually even made note about who that was, and I've immediately forgotten, and my list of tweets is too blooming long. <laughs> but here, so I, I, I know we're getting kind of long here, so... Um, I guess, um, it, do any of us have any, like, final stray thoughts before we, like, uh, maybe move on to Twitter questions real quick, or? Uh, never forget that cheetahs the best, and fat <laughs> cheetahs are adorable. They are, they are, I totally agree. Well, when, when, uh, when Zootopia first had its first, uh, like, trailer, and, uh, was it Clawhouser? Or Clawhouser? Yeah. Um, was, I, I think so. Was it, I was just like, oh my god, it's like cheetah. <laughs> anyway i'm furry and i love this series (laughs) yeah i mean as far as my final thoughts go i I think i said at the top of the show but i mean like you know i recognize that omagadoki zoo is a flawed series and i do think horikoshi's writing overall does get better especially around the time he starts my hero academia um but again like omagadoki zoo I think out of all the, like, cancelled stuff we've talked about on the podcast is, like, I'm gonna say the most fun out of all of them, at the very least. Um, 
if if I if I had to do like a spontaneous ranking of like what I think the best canceled ones we covered on the podcast are, I would put this at like number three behind like Stealth Symphony and Cross Manage. No, no, I I think that's a good rate ranking. I I. I... I love this series. It's one of my favorite canceled series, but I love Cross Manage and Still Symphony. That, that, that's a good <laughs> top three. I see you are a man of taste. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Oh man, I mean, Cross Manage, I I think is a better written series than this, and I think has a, I think has like a more satisfying ending personally. Um, yeah. And I, I would even say Stealth Symphony's ending is a little more satisfying than Amaga Doki Zoo's personally. If if you have the volume, Stealth Symphony is maybe actually the best of the lot because all the extras do so much to convince you that actually everything was always good. <laughs> we, we might we might have okay. to revisit that at some point now that the volumes are actually. Gonna, we're gonna have to do a yearly episode about Stealth Symphony. <laughs> Each time I reread it, I'm more convinced of its quality. Okay, okay. So so stupid side note. Um, uh huh. I God, oh, I can't even remember his name now. I feel so bad. The uh, the assassin bakery dude. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So I cosplayed him years ago. Oh and, man, that's so cool. Oh. And, and I made it like a, uh, I had a an, an apron that said like assassin bakery, and I I did two of them, and one of them got messed up, and oh. so we just ended up using it for like a regular apron because it's just paint on an apron, and so whenever my husband cooks. Like he's always wearing it, and it always makes me smile. Like, yeah, that's that's great. Ace, I I thought you were. I I'm not gonna lie. I thought you were gonna be like, oh yeah, I remember when I met Ryogo Narita and Yoichi Amano <laughs> okay. or something. Matt, if I re- if I met Narita, like, oh my, Bakano is. Oh god, I love this. Oh my god. I, ooh, oh, ooh. I, I, think, I think Yoichi Amano would hate to meet me because I'd be like, yeah, you've got some of my favourite art, but it's really hard to look at sometimes. <laughs> Please leave more white space. And they'd go, never talk to me again. Security? Security? <laughs> it's, I, just think, I feel like I would always get on really well with writers, but artists would despise Aww. me and I would never blame them. <laughs> Whenever I've met like artists, I'm just I love I love you, <laughs> and you, your stuff's re- That's really the key. good. It, it's, you have to go full Chris Farley. You have to vote. You know when you did that, it was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Um, I mean, overall, like, would you guys feel comfortable recommending Omagadoki Zoo just uh, to our listeners in general? Or yeah, I think it's a fun romp. It's easy to read. It's it's pretty quick. Yeah, and especially if you can read it in uh, Japanese or. Like, mm. you know, it's still worth checking it out in the way you can if you're really interested. But, like, I do wish it had an official polished translation. I'll continue to work on that, okay? <laughs> I was going to say, Ace, try harder. Yeah, I, I I, have a couple series I keep pushing, and they're probably really tired of me. Like, so what about this series? <laughs> Just have to convince them to, like, pay Horikoshi to do, like, a, like a Raki did with JoJo's Bizarre Adventure just redrawing entire pages to get rid of uh, animal <laughs> violence, but instead it's to get rid of an yeah. ostrich. Oh, you know, that might do it. <laughs> I would love to see him revisit this and just with, like, a final, like, what uh, the the Shaman King creator did, just a spinoff at the end. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So cool. yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, or even um, uh, what what the Shaman King creator did when the volumes got re-released through Kadansha, now that he's changed publishers for all his continuations, 
is those first 35 volumes, he's just gone through the whole thing, and if there's a panel he doesn't like, he redraws That's the panel. amazing. And it, it can be really, really confusing, because his art style now is nothing <laughs> like it used to be. But it's it's a st- it's stunning yeah. as far as like retroactive fixing your own art goes. He is obsessed. He's like, you did not see that weird face of horror horror looking at his sister like he's in love. Instead, he just looks happy. Yeah, now. they're like classmates in Yo's classroom. The first chapter that he completely redrew, and it's like just in completely different style. It's just wow. so strange. And the funny thing is, is the new anime actually has stuff looking more like the old version than any of the redrawn stuff. It's so interesting. It's really peculiar. Yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah. Um, but yeah, as my, impre- my impression of Bogu Dugu 2 as someone who just read it for the first time uh, for this podcast is that I was a little worried for starting out because, you know, there were some things that didn't get off on quite the right foot for me. But as I kept reading, the more I grew to appreciate, you know, Horikoshi's, like, creativity and, like, his character designs. I grew to like a lot of the, the characters. I thought some of them had some really fun personalities and relationships with each other. And I think I just really appreciated this as kind of a proof ground for Horikoshi to explore some ideas he was interested in and then like kind of work to develop that and then it's just interesting to see like some of those ideas you know uh, gestate here and then we see them mature in his subsequent works and especially in MHA like a lot of them especially in regards to like the the character type that Hana and then Astro and Deku would represent and how he would develop that and how more of like he was like he's Real, this is really Horikoshi at kind of like his, like, you know, he's putting all his ideas out there. This is him, like, unfiltered, just, like, doing what, kind of, like, uh, with Sheena's philosophy, what he thinks is fun. But then as we see in future works, like, he starts to bring in more kind of uh, emotional depth to his storytelling. And he's I think he's bringing more of his own experiences, more of his own feelings and putting that into his work. And that ends up creating a stronger story. And then it ends up having a story that is a little more... Uh, connected in terms of the different ideas and how he wants to use them to complement each other and then explore the characters world of the world and then explore like you know what the message he wants to get across to his readers i think we see that sense of personalness that definitely developed over the course of his oeuvre and i think this is interesting to revisit as like kind of a starting point for him to play around with those uh things that he would build upon later on mm-hmm, for sure um all i'm gonna say just to kind of cap things off is uh you know, obviously the series is not licensed at the time of this recording, which, uh, hey, guys, I can't wait until we can read a Magadoki Zoo from Viz Media in the next one to two years. I'm calling it now. <laughs> it's it's going to get picked up one of these days anyway. Um, but until that hopefully happens, um, you know, we, we mentioned it before. We'll leave links in the show notes. But like, you know, if you can buy them physically, wherever you can buy manga even if they are in Japanese. Um, again, I, I personally recommend buying them through Bookwalker if you want like an easier way to kind of own them, at least digitally. Um, I, I do think uh, the, the the scan quality is obviously way better than the actual scanlations online, obviously, because <laughs> without saying. Um, and it's just, it's just nice to have if you want to look at some really nice art from Horikoshi. Um, and again, I... I literally spent like less, probably $20 or less on all five volumes. So if you want a cheap way to support Horikoshi and Omagadoki Zoo, go buy it that way. You know, just support it however you can until hopefully Viz brings it out. Because I'm still holding out hope, you know? Like, My Hero Academia is big. Obviously, I'm going to assume most things with Kohei Horikoshi's name on it will sell. Um, that, that I'm saying that not knowing how well Barrage did, but... 
uh, again, I'm I'm confident that like if they brought this out, I I think there'd be interest in this. But yeah, that's just even me. if it's just digital only. Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they're doing that for all sorts of series that. I'm surprised they would bother with doing anything more of past Simulpub because of their relative level of success. So, like, I, I think you could do a lot of archival series, like older stuff by authors that are known as digital only, and have it at least make its money yeah, back. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I'll say this for the series is I rated it two stars out of five, which means, like, good but flawed by my metrics. So I, I've got in the habit of rating things because of analysts. Now. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly. It's driving me insane. <laughs> uh, which sounds like a negative, but it's in like a lot of company with things like uh, like Lightwing or Kurokuroku, which was the first series by the a Gravity Boys author, or something like uh, Zombie Powder or Yui Cameo Let's Loose, like series where they're kind of messy, but you even for all their flaws, you can't help but love yeah. them. I think this is that sort mm-hmm. of thing. Like I can't imagine anyone reading through this and feeling like their time was wasted. Mm. At no, all. exactly. Like it's. No matter what it's doing, for as much of a schmoz as it is, it's fun, which is kind of the mission statement of the entire <laughs> yeah. series when you think yeah. about it. That's true, that's true. Um, just, just to put out there real quick, because uh, Maxi mentioned uh, ratings, uh, I think I actually, uh, I used to have, a, have it as a 7 out of 10 on any list. I actually brought that down to a 6, because, I, I, again, I do recognize that the writing isn't always very cohesive, but... You know, when I give things a six, that usually kind of means, like, I, I didn't, like, hate it at all. Like, I at least thought it was okay. Like, I, I, I liked it. But it's not it's not one of those, you know, it, it's it's far from perfect. That's kind of what mm. I usually oh, give. Oh, yeah. you with your fancy <laughs> ten-point systems, I can barely cope with five. It's, uh, it's like comfort food. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. Mm. Which is a lot, a lot of Shonen Jump, to be fair. Like, I don't think a lot of people go to, like, every Shonen Jump series expecting... Like a fucking hawk cuisine, but you know you're at least gonna get something that's comfy and feels like jump. And uh, Omegadoki Zoo is a really, really good example of something that feels like a nice, comfortable jump series with something extra. Yeah, yeah, I would totally agree. Um, but here we should definitely get the Twitter questions here, and uh, yes, let's satisfy these yes. people. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna go ahead and start <laughs> off with a question from uh, at Hot Spring Summer who says, I've always seen Omagadoki as the bridge between early aughts and tens shonen battle tropes. Their question is, why do y'all think it was axed when it was beyond low reader ratings? Oh, oh, I can answer the second half of this question really well. It's because everything in 2010 did really fucking awfully <laughs> for Weekly Shonen Jump and got yeah. cancelled. Literally, nothing, the, the one that did the most well was Enigma, and that only lasted just over a year. That was a bad year for nobody cares about new series of Shonen Jump. 2011 was also pretty bad, and 2009 uh, was slightly better, actually. It had Madaka Box in it. But, like, yeah, that was the worst time to be published in Weekly Shonen Jump since, like, the mid-90s. You did not want to be trying to have a success at that point in time. Yeah. Yeah, I, I really feel like it wasn't until around like twenty like late twenty eleven, twenty twelve when we started getting things like like say Nisei Koi or like Assassination Classroom, Food Wars. Food Wars. Yeah. Things changed with the debut of Nisekoi and Haikyuu oh, Haiku, the yeah, year yeah. after. Yeah. Like those those two really upturned things. Then like Psyche Kusuo and Assassination Classroom rode that wave to like huge success. So like that they definitely marked the end of what had been a very tiny dark age for debuts. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um actually speak speaking of early shonen battle tropes, um 
you know, I, I don't know if anyone else had this thought, but like reading through the whole aquarium arc, as much as I like it, and as much as I think personally, I think it's the, I, I think it's the most enjoyable arc in the series out of the two or barely three we had, you know, admittedly. But all I could think was, man, this is a less good NES lobby. <laughs> Uh, kind of. In a sense, yeah, as a rift through arc. See, I joked that it was Soul Society. Yeah, you know, it is. Yeah, you can compare it to a lot of different rescue arcs. It's the arc that you know that he absolutely had one hundred percent the idea that he wanted to write down. He knew exactly what was going to happen. Like the first uh, few uh, chapters are kind of just set up; they're not super engaging. But then once that arc starts, it's like really uh, well written. And like the circus, he. Like halfway through, he had he was canceled, and I was like, "Oh, I got to write an epilogue really quick." Mm-hmm. No, I, I totally agree. Um, I don't know if I want to like ask this because it might be a whole big thing, but like, I couldn't help but think, as much as I enjoyed that arc, I kind of wonder if he like if he started up that arc too soon. Like, I I kind of wonder if like I wonder if the aquarium arc began out of a need to like really pull readers in. Yeah. Well, probably. it's kind of a problem because the first volume doesn't have any direction. It's only with that arc that things actually kind of get yeah. going. So, like, I feel like it, it should have started sooner. Okay. Interesting. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think, I think spending the time that he did on, like, the, uh, introducing, developing some core characters is a good idea. I think maybe, like, some of the stories could have been a little stronger, maybe. Yeah, exactly. But uh, I feel like the arc happens at a good point, at a, probably a necessary point, in order to attract attention and show, hey, this can be like a, this will be more like a battle manga. And the the idea of it is like the fight against other like uh, groups of animals transformed by other cursed humans and stuff like that. I think introducing that concept was a good thing to do that early on, but... It's just funny because... Um... Like, it, the first few chapters do feel pretty slow, comparatively. Yeah. But it's, like, I had a thought, and then it slowly left my mind. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's okay, yeah. Uh, but it, it does feel like that arc should have happened at least a little bit sooner. But it's, um, but, but when I was doing my reread, it actually took me a lot longer than I expected to do it. Because there's just so much that happens in every chapter. Yeah. Interesting. Mm. Well, it's uh, it's kind of funny as well, because the first chapter kind of has the problem. Oh, God, I don't want to get too deep into this again, actually. Uh, it, it doesn't feel like the villains you got really feel like much in the way of villains. Yeah. I mean, they just kind of randomly stumble upon the scene like, oh, there are humanoid animals here. We're going to capture them and make a bunch of money. Yeah, so you kind of got a weak sense of conflict until that second arc, and jumping off points are a thing, so this kind of makes me think about how it failed. A volume one, you can read by itself, and you don't have to touch a single other volume. Volumes one to three, you can read by themselves, and if you're me, you don't realize there's volume <laughs> yeah. five straight away. So it's like, uh, readers can buy big on volume one, big drop-off. Uh, they can buy, and then volume three, people can stop again, another drop-off. Like, it's you don't want to give too many places where readers can give up on you. Yeah, I think they should have been more of a sense of a driving force, a goal to work towards, introduced early on, and, and more of a sense of conflict, I agree. I was gonna say, I think, um, I think the point, because I mean, I, I liked it from the start, but admittedly, when I was reading it weekly at the time, like, I, I, I think the point where I became more interested was when they started introducing Shishido, because that, that, that really felt like kind of the first big conflict that we had to deal with. Yeah, 
And she, and it introduces it explores more some of the the core teams and ideas in the series, and then like you know with Chino also, you know like his first concern with Chishido is like, hey, have you healed from your wound? And he's glad that oh you've healed, like that's great. And then uh, perceptively saying that oh what you know Chishido really wanted more than just be the king of the of his pack or whatever was just to have like kind of the companions. That's what he was really looking for. And then you know eventually uh, in defeating him and then him like kind of acclimating to the rest of the, the zoo, him like kind of getting that. So I think like exploring that that had a little more more like kind of an emotional weight behind it and then it kind of tied into like more of the idea of like what is going to be these kind of moments that are going to spur along Sheena's own growth and then him reverting back into human as a reflection of that growth and all that so I think that was that was where like it was sort of getting it together of like okay here's driving force but maybe those Shishido chapters should have been like chapters two and three and we got it that sooner maybe yeah I think that's why Bakugo got introduced so early, because, again, Shishiro is literally just Bakugo. Like, yeah. his, his entire arc in Omagadoki is just Bakugo speedrun. It, that's what it is. Yeah. But th- that's, I think that's why uh, Hirokoshi, he took his main archetype character, which is like, I can't do anything character who wants to get better, and then combined it with his other most popular uh, character, who is Shishiro, and he made a winning combo in my hero yeah no yeah for sure for sure um i guess uh unless anybody has anything else they want to add i can go on to the next question from our good friend joey weiser at joey weiser on twitter uh shout out joey if you're listening and he asks uh where do you think the series would have gone if it had lasted longer and i actually want to start big currency battles (laughs) like in the one shot you have like where he takes on the powers of every animal he's got with him and becomes like a giant giant yeah. rabbit and it's like that's what i'd expect yeah. but more, like bigger scale more using this new power system against other like directors of different facilities i don't know what you have left after circuses zoos and aquariums though farm a farm Ooh, a farm actually yeah that yeah could be farms cool. yeah so i uh i was kind of lurking around like old forms and stuff from f- literally from 2010 and um, this is not my idea. This is somebody else's that I saw. But I saw someone online in the past bring up, like, maybe Horikoshi could do something with insects. Oh. Mm. Yeah. You know, may have his own, like, version of the Chimera. Like, there's an insect empire that they have to, like, fight off. The entire cast of a bug's life in a whole <laughs> yeah. you Now, that, with, with Horikoshi's design sensibilities, like, that that has the potential to be a creepy as shit. I would have loved that, actually. Oh, yeah. Or yeah. yeah. Goofy, and they got embroiled with, like, Mori King-esque uh, caricatures. Oh, my God! Yeah. Oh, no. Mori King, Omakidoki, Zoo Crosser. That would have been fun. Oh, uh, I would love that, actually. The world that could have been. <laughs> I think, um... One thing could have been, like, a rival uh, zoo, like an actual rival, not, like, enemies, because that would have been interesting, seeing how that may have gone, the, the different animals that they don't have being in the other zoo. And I, like, uh, with mentioned the, the powers uh, all combined, I think that's what Horikoshi initially wanted at the very end of the series, but then he had to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'd love an arc where they got outed to the public as well and had to deal yeah, with that. Yeah, really cool. Yeah, that'd be interesting. Probably dealing with some, like, uh, scientists wanting to experiment on them in animals. Like, that could have been, like, another type of rescue where they have to save, like, animals from being held in this uh, scientific facility where they're being experimented on or something. 
they have to go and save a whole bunch of uh, dolphins from unsavory fishing practices. It would be interesting. Yeah, probably fighting off uh, like animal traffickers too. Like, yeah. It would have been a more interesting take on on the conflict that he tried to do in the first chapter, where it's just like a bunch of mobsters with a giant hammer trying to yeah. steal Igarashi. Yeah. <laughs> well, because the one shot version is literally a better version of that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I, I think a concept that could have been done too is like we got all through like everyone's conflict, everyone's happy, blah blah blah. Except Sheena is not yet completely rid of his curse, and the reason why isn't because he isn't showing love or understanding. It's because he hasn't grown up, and I think that would have been like a good way for like all the other characters to relate to him and talk to him and help him mature. Yeah. You could do a really nice romantic ending out of that idea, you know, like he he finally becomes mature and I don't know stuff happens. I was gonna say, I I genuinely think if if Omagadoki Zoo had continued on past where it ended, like I I think we could have gotten a really good coming of age story with Sheena, where like you know he does learn to mature, and you know the the idea of him absorbing you know the other zoo animals' powers and him. You know, possibly losing his losing his friends that way, and maybe use that as a stepping off point for him to like mature and grow up. I I, I think there's something you could have done there. Like, and this is also something that like I just thought of while we were talking. Like, you know, I think it's it, it's it's kind of sad in the way when you realize like because you know his whole thing is like oh I only do like what's fun because I'm all about fun and I don't like being responsible or whatever because he's he's again he's literally just he's a big kid you know that's his whole thing. But I think, I don't think it hit me until this last read-through where, like, you know, because he's so stunted in his growth, he can't really, like, properly verbalize, like, uh, his loneliness in a way. Like, you don't really get the sense of him only wanting to do fun things as, uh, like, him basically saying that as, like, a, oh, well, I don't want to be alone. Like, I I think it's really interesting when you kind of get that realization kind of near the end. And that's that's what I hate about the end of Omagadogi Zoo is that, Horikoshi, I think, really teases what could have been a really good, like, maybe flashback arc or, like, however he wanted to do it. Just more more exploration of Sheena as a character, I think, would have been cool. But obviously, he didn't really have time to do that with the time he was given, unfortunately. So that that's something I would have loved to see more of. Uh, I, I'd like to also see more of the uh, the demon, monster, ghost thing. Like, yeah. Yeah, why, why does it need the love you know what what's its purpose why is it you know yeah what does it represent in the world yeah like why does it exist why did it need to curse people for power that leads into another thought like with the curse broken would the power go back to the the demon and Sheena would never talk to the animals again yeah Mm. yeah actually that's Mm. interesting Mm. yeah does he learn that the curse is good, actually? A giant kaiju fight between <laughs> Sheena and the God of Curses. Oh, that would be yes. cool, yeah. Yeah. Oh, what if there were actually just kaiju in this series? That also would have been cool. Oh my <laughs> god. We've gone that direction. Kaiju and cryptids and all sorts of creatures. What if, since the animals can give their power to Sheena back, could theoretically the other cursed humans give their power to Sheena as like you know? Ooh, oh, that was an interesting thing. Spirit bomb okay. thing. <laughs> Maybe, possibly. Uh, I mean, I, I I think there's so many things I think Horikoshi could have done it, again if he had kept going. But that's just how it is with cancel jump series. You know, it, it makes you think what could have been. I realize what Isana reminds me of. He's like the crocodile of the series. 
Yeah. I could kind of okay. I could kind of see that. It's like if Crocodile were the villain of Ennius Lobby. Similarly <laughs> <laughs> ruthless, yeah. I could see that. He's not as good as Crocodile, but that's okay. No. <laughs> no. But I guess uh I can move on to uh our next couple questions from uh Ikmalan on Twitter, who says, uh, do you see any significant changes with Hori's style in general when you compare Omagadoki Zoo with his other series? And I, th- I think we kind of talked about this a lot. Yeah, I think we see an evolution of his style between this and his subsequent series. His sense of perspective and proportion and vanishing mm-hmm. points uh, and consistency of action between panels, like the actual... And, and the panel work. There's some good panel work in Omagadoki Zoo, but he's gotten really good at, like, panel-to-panel storytelling now. And that's, like, that's just what you get from making comics over and over again over, like, years and years. Yeah. Like, it, it, it's it's been over a decade. Like, the first Bokana Hero was 2008. Uh, Horikoshi has grown massively because making comics and making them dedicatedly with passion turns you into a better comic creator. Oh yeah, for sure. As we've seen recently with Tatsuki Fujimoto's look back. Yep. One thing I would point out between the art style and Omagadoki and uh, art style he has now is he used to draw people very noodly. Like, they did not have no muscle on them. Mm. (laughs) Yeah. I can see that, yeah. Yeah, and now they're like overflowing with like texture and muscle and fi- like the everything they they feel solid and and omagadoki zoo one thing i will say that i think omagadoki zoo did a little bit better is that i can almost see panels moving because of how he draws them they're very fluid okay i i, I can i can see that yeah i can, I can understand mm. that yeah yeah you, you can make the argument that like sometimes my hero academia maybe feels a little too busy with its paneling but it Every once in a while, I, I can I can kind of see that. I, I think, this is just me speaking personally, I, I think his comics are still more readable than, say, like, Oda's, where Oda's stuff is so busy nowadays that, like, it it, 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 t- it takes you a while just to kind of, like, uh, kind of examine at least even, like, a page, especially, like, a two-page spread. But, again, yeah. that, that's just me. Oda also doesn't... Oda doesn't create comics very well for viewing over two pages mm-hmm, like yeah. the, the one piece as it's been since post time skip uh say you're reading it digitally you better be having your ipad <laughs> on its side or whatnot because those panels reach across every page and that's great it's interesting but it it can create issues i think horikoshi at the least doesn't do that as often like you get a two-page spread but it's not every single page yeah, yeah. Uh, and and well, again, with One Piece, it's not even spreads. It's just very wide panels and that are surrounded by lots of smaller yeah, panels. Yeah. It's an interesting quirk. <laughs> yeah, I see what Weak. you did there. <laughs> no. Oh, for God, <laughs> I did it! <laughs> oh, man. Um, but uh, here, so uh, Ikmalan also... We, we kind of answered this, but also asked, like, in your perspective, what could have been the reason for the series cancellation? We kind of talked about that already, but just to move on to their last question, uh, do you think it would have succeeded now, given the current state of Jump with Jump Plus and Weekly Shonen Jump? Yeah. I think we also addressed this, but yeah, probably ha- yeah. would have a, yeah. a better chance. I, d- I don't think it would necessarily succeed on Jump I don't think Plus, so either. because it's not the sort of series they publish. Uh, we don't get a lot of their series over here, but a, a lot of it is still just, hey, do you like a murder-death game? Here's a murder-death <laughs> game. Uh, 
and and then of course you have the the romance titles and the occasional absolute gem like Spy mm-hmm. Family. Yeah, I I think if Amagadoki Zoo uh, were to run on Jump Plus, it would probably be more like B Stars. Honestly, I feel like if it had run in Jump Square even back then, I think it would have stood out as being like this fantastic oddity. And God knows that magazine needed diversity. So I, I, I feel like both then and now, it would really do well as a monthly series. Okay, okay. I could see that. I could definitely see that. I do think that if it ran today, it could at least hit chapter 100 before, it, you know, stopping. I think it could. I think at the very minimum, it would it would easily cross the year mark yeah. nowadays. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, the, the standards for a jump series being cancelled nowadays is hugely different. I can't think of the last time I saw something cancelled at 10 chapters. Yeah, yeah. it's been a while. Barrage, I remember uh, back then was it was not doing well at all in the the popularity and the sales, um, and people had mixed reviews on it, just reading it as it was coming out. And it, yeah, yeah, I uh, I, f- I feel like that might have been one of the last ones to have run that long. I I'm probably wrong on that. I feel I mean, like Barrage ran sixteen chapters, and there have been series since that have run shorter lengths that have even been done by Viz, like. Uh, uh, Time, Time Paradox, Paradox was only 14. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's right. And that's then right. Uh, okay. Love Rush was. No, uh, Bone Collection, that was also like 15. 16, oh, yeah, so. Bone yeah. Collection. Uh, I will never forgive people for not understanding <laughs> Bone Collection. <laughs> okay. it's, it's the reader's fault. It is not Bone Collection's fault. <laughs> oh, man. That's going to be fun when we finally do our Bone Collection episode. Um, but anyway. It will be the one point where I will refuse to see reason. Okay. I just I have such affection for that series. <laughs> oh, man. Um, I thought that was going to be our Barrage episode. No, but anyway. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm f- full of love for Barrage. <laughs> Look, right. Okay. No. The, the Deuteragonist, the, um, the bodyguard guy who's always following the main character everywhere in Barrage, I, I really like him. I'm, I'm saying that now. There is a thing I like about Barrage. There you go. Enjoy that. You're not going to get yeah, it again. Yeah, Matt's cool. Like, and he's another like proto Azawa type character. I think. Oh yeah, yeah for sure, absolutely. For sure. God, yeah, yeah. Um, I haven't read Barrage since it since it ended, so that's going to be really fun to revisit. I'm kind of looking forward to it, actually. Oh wow! First time in like ten years. Oh, I think it was Cyborg Rocky, by the way. It ran oh, like, I don't uh, remember oh, that. That's the shortest wow. one. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um. But here, so let's move on to uh, Hero Fletch on Twitter, who has two questions. Uh, and I'm, we're going to start with the first one for Sai in particular, who asks, has the manga inspired you in any way? Uh, yeah, I would say that it did. Um, it inspired me in like high school to try and draw more fluidly because the art style is just, it, it is not stiff. It goes all over the place. It loves to be dynamic. And in high school, I had a bunch of little OCs I drew. And uh, Shishiro inspired one of them, which was like this little werewolf boy who wore uh, like a little fur scarf around his neck, which was actually his dad's tail or something. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah, it inspired that little character that I, I haven't touched in ages. But that's pretty much it. It hasn't done much more than that, but I love going back and reading it and looking at the designs. Mm-hmm. I mean, clearly, like, I'm sure with a lot of us, it, it's it's really, like, stuck with you. Mm-hmm. And I, I, w- I will say, like, like like I mentioned, you know, the, you, you were, I think you were the only one I was following, and since then, you know, that I've seen anybody do any fan art for it, so I, th- I think that was, like, a big reason I followed you, like, oh, this person's cool, I, I gotta follow them, or whatever. <laughs> um, and, and, and I haven't looked back. <laughs> Thanks. I should draw more fan art for it because 
there's probably never going to be any more if I don't. <laughs> <laughs> cheetah, cheetah, cheetah. <laughs> yeah, you got a new phrase. God, I think I, I actually charged my Apple Pencil. I should draw the show. Yeah. Oh, okay. nice. One thing I love about Sheena's design is that you can do them either human or rabbit. Either works. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just speaking personally, I, I would love to see your take on the characters from Omega Doki Zoo in your current style. Now, I, I think they would look amazing, quite honestly. God, ten years later. <laughs> <laughs> uh, before and after um and then uh hero fletch has a uh question for maxi uh i guess two questions actually the first one being what uh uh i guess we kind of talked about this uh what rating would you give omakadoki zoo compared to other act series like stealth symphony i mean we'll we'll give it a nice clear comparison uh stealth symphony got four stars and i'm pretty sure if i read it again it's gonna get five <laughs> because something wow. keeps happening each time i read it <laughs> Um, and if you want to think about other licensed uh, cancel series, Cross Manage was absolutely a pure five star series. There's been very little better than it. Uh, I Tell C, I think of as a five star series, like Ooh. the actual cream of the crop. Huh. A, a lot of people disagree with yeah. me on that. And then, <laughs> well, <laughs> we'll talk more about it at the end. But uh, th- I did like the RP part. <laughs> but yeah, no, I think in like the. In the grand scheme of things, the majority of Cancel Jump series are two stars uh, in fair. general. And Omogadaki Zoo is on the high end of that because the only thing that's holding it back is that Horikoshi is too raw, too fresh. But that is also really appealing now that Horikoshi is really polished because you love seeing how people start out. So, like, it, it's a low rating, but it's a low rating with love. That's how I'm going to stop people being mad. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> No, I, 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 I totally see where you're coming from, I, and I think that's totally fair. I'm, I'm, I'm not upset about that personally. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I gave Assassination Classroom four stars. I can't remember <gasps> why. I was gonna say that should that should be five stars. <laughs> yeah, Actually, maybe for maybe, me, maybe, yeah. You know, honestly, maybe four is okay though. I, I, I could still accept that. Yeah, I, I, I'm not gonna just keep scrolling down this list and say I'm out. It means Assassination Classroom is exactly as good as Love Rush. So remember, <laughs> that. I also agree. Love Rush is pretty good. The ending of Assassination Classroom and, like, the little four-chapter, like, uh, sequence where you see what uh, Kuro-sensei was doing in those months before the final. Those are really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, those are fun. I like those. God, it was so good. Um, and I guess, again, something we probably already touched on, but Hero Fletch also asks, uh, is there anything in particular you felt could have been done better in the story or art? I think if I'm being absolutely fair, rather than talking about all the things that, that could have done like could have, would have, should have uh, I, I don't think there is. Horikoshi was the creator they were in that moment and they made something that was incredibly them and that's admirable. The problem was it was the wrong time, the wrong place and he just wasn't quite there yet as a creator. And that's how it is sometimes. I don't think there's anything that could have been done different and I probably wouldn't like it as much if it wasn't what it was. I mean, I definitely think with the perspective and experience he has now, he could revisit it and revise it in a stronger way and uh, connect some more ideas together. But, you know, I think it is worthwhile that it came out the way it does and it's an expression of him as a time, as you said, Maxi. Yeah. That said, uh, no ostrich. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, that, that's yeah, true. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Would you just a complete redesign? Yeah, d- d- a complete redesign. I, I don't know. I'm uh, Make it an emu instead. Everyone likes emus. Even- there wouldn't be as much yeah. of an issue. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't take that much to, to fix that design, but it needs yeah. it. It really does. Oh, so yeah, sure. badly. Yeah. 
I would I would focus more on certain characters maybe like because you're shown so many animals at the start and I think if it had started with a small amount being like oh the rest of the zoo either aren't here yet the adventure is getting more people yeah. for the zoo yeah that would also have dealt a lot with not having a main villain yeah if it was more of a was more of like a collection type of story where like they're going on collecting companions yeah and and then you do Doctor Stone exactly actually <laughs> yeah, yeah. it all comes back to this. It would also give him the the opportunity to go to like so many different like locales and settings and everything. I think that yeah. would be really cool. Like travel the world like that would be interesting. Oh yeah. One of the things I would change personally is uh, give the giraffe more screen time. I actually yeah. really like that design. It's <sighs> creepy and weird and fun and it makes yeah. my skin crawl. It, it really okay. is okay. unique. <laughs> I love it too. I I can't imagine anyone else thinking of making that. <laughs> like it kind of looks like the kind of character who would be like, "Hey guys, I'm a giraffe," and like I, I that's the voice I imagine giving it. I guess it kind of I could kind of see it as like a Muppet. <laughs> hey, I, can, I will argue right. with you. I can absolutely see yeah. Oda making that character design. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. It is. Yeah, I, I could see Oda doing it. <laughs> yeah oh man no honestly yeah like a lot of the animal designs of this i do think the wano arc of one piece has like a similar yeah. crazy <laughs> that battle royale between the the wano giraffe guy with the the body as the head versus the giraffe. <laughs> yeah <laughs> that, that's pretty good actually yeah um all right but our last uh question comes from uh, at pirate marimo who says i was just talking about omagadoki like yesterday what animals would you have liked to see if the series continued? And if you were a character in the manga, tell us your fursona. Also, thoughts on the subject of the English licensing. If if it became an anime, what would you want the most? I didn't realize there were so many questions. Probably should have read that ahead of time. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, we'll, we'll give them quick. Uh, the animal I'd like to see and also the animal I would like to be. Uh, would be a uh, an alpaca. They're so soft, and we have like oh, motel yeah. alpaca oh, farms yeah. out there. And it's like, yes, I, I would love to be friend shaped. Friend um, I I I'm just gonna go with my same answer. I would have loved to see the draft more personally. Um, <laughs> if if I were to be an animal, you know, I I weirdly like zebras a lot. I would love to be a zebra. I can't believe we're finally learning everyone's episodes. <laughs> this is it. You're, you're, all, you're all known now. This is what we need as. I'm embracing this. I love it. I would have liked to see a, a flamingo because that seems like an interesting animal to have. Oh. Yeah. oh. But unicorns don't exist, so I guess. Uh, well, you know, maybe they would have gone to, again, the magical creatures section. <laughs> that would have been really cool. But yeah. maybe like a, a deer or a... Um, uh, yeah, let's go with deer. Okay, okay. <laughs> uh, I I would like to see uh, a black-footed cat, which is the world's best hunter cat. Like they're Ooh. they succeed like Ooh. sixty or seventy percent of the time they go hunting, whereas like other cats, you know, is like ten percent. Uh, and they're really tiny. Wow, cats are really bad at hunting. <laughs> <laughs> like black-footed cats are tiny. They're like super tiny, like smaller than like a house cat, really. But they're like these crazy murderers. So I would love to see just this crazy little like kill cat. That'd be that'd be pretty fun. Uh, my persona. I I already have a persona. He's a big demon lion. So I I I'd go with a, I'd go with a lion. Again. It's a good one. So you could you could fight against Shishido. Yeah, there we. Uh, yeah. He, he he'd win. I'd be like, you can be the boss. It's cool. 
Well, I, I think he'd be happy without that. Yeah, yeah. You, you could be Shishido's follower. There that actually go. reminds yeah. me. There's a little scene at the very end after the circus orchestra where Shishido's talking to the flying squirrel kid, and he's like, do this! And it's very obvious he shouldn't be teaching this kid that. <laughs> I don't remember what he's, what he's telling him to do. Uh, what about you, Lum? I would be interested, I think, in seeing like how Horkushi would have done more insect-like creatures, like as we kind of talked about. So, you know, butterfly bees would have been interesting. Praying mantises, uh, spiders. Yeah. Like, those would all be, like, kind of interesting to see, like, how he would handle, like, kind of uh, anthropomorphized animal characters and the crazy ways he would have designed those. Oh, yeah. And then animal, I would like to be, I, I guess... What would be the most useful? I feel like we have answered an iteration of this question before. But, like, I do think uh, a, being some type of bird is always nice because flying is cool. But also, like, perhaps having many arms, like an octopus or squid, it would also be useful to get a lot of different tasks done. So that might be <laughs> the most utilitarian thing. And also, ink glass to scare away your enemies and blind them so you can get the hell out of there. That's lots of fun. Would it would it be good if the series had a like small? I want to say hamster, and it was called. <laughs> yeah, Junior. It's in the series. That'd be great. Oh my god! I sh- I man, I should have answered Colton Junior. I just want to be Colton uh. Junior, except I am. I can't believe I forgot Colton Junior right until the end of the episode. <laughs> oh, I, I suddenly had an image of Hamtaro, but in Horikoshi style. Oh, that would be cute. Oh, that'd be oh. cute, actually. I would love that. <laughs> great, great choices all around. Uh, we we already kind of talked about our thoughts on, like, when and if it'll be, like, licensed in English, so we'll just kind of skip over that. But uh, they also asked about it, you know, what it would be like if the series were to become an anime. And honestly, um, I can... It's something that um, I think I mentioned in my thread, but um, specifically around the beginning of the fight between Sheena and Isana, like when, when he's literally like dodging his tail and doing all those sick moves, like rolling on his tail and dodging his tail as it like literally coming towards him, like the, like red, uh, red at the last second. Th- that's the kind of stuff I could see like bones doing in particular. Like I can, yeah. I can like, I can like vividly imagine how that's animated in my head in particular. Yeah. There's so much motion in like a lot of the movement of the character's, as they're drawn, like, I think it could be a really cool animated series, definitely. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, for sure. When she, uh, I want to mention earlier that I can, like, see panels moving. Those are some of the panels I was thinking of. Like, you can just imagine them moving. And I think it would work really well as, like, a 12-episode anime. Yeah. I think the the fight with the tuna girl and the crab guy would also be cool in motion. Oh, as, as well with Top. Uh, against Toy Toy, like to, to fight on the motorcycle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Honestly, I, 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 it'll probably never happen. Obviously, but I would love to see the entirety of the aquarium arc in like movie form. I think, I think that would make a Ooh. fun film. Yeah. Actually, that that would be really well if they went like the Madoka route, where they just made every arc a film. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Good old sort of OVA days of stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I, I think, I think this series would have been great animated. Like I can, I can vivid, like, honestly, we were talking about like how busy some of these designs are. Like I, I would love to see like how a character designer would like 
take these on and like how to make them easier to animate i, th- I think yeah. that, would, that would be an interesting challenge my thing is is anime has been spoiled for me because like i've seen olympia kite cross now <laughs> which decided anime is actually claymation <laughs> and cutouts well, like you can make anime. a claymation and, series of this and it's the thing i if if there's going to be an anime of anything i like as a comic made i need it to be like wildly experimental rather than faithful yeah mm. and oh actually this would be great for that Imagine if they just had like a, like the sort of little plastic toys of animals you get as a kid when oh, they've got zero articulation yeah. and they use that to make every scene before they Aww. transform and then it's traditionally that animated throughout so uh, any scene after they transform. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. Ah, uh, you could, you could actually totally take that first volume before any of the actual real plots happen and just turn that into a full series as well. Just slice of life misadventures in a zoo that isn't established mm-hmm. yet. Yeah. Ah, oh, I've taught myself into actually liking <laughs> this uh, idea now. Go on. Oh, come on. 2022 Omogodoki Zoo anime. Imagine <laughs> the kind of uh, opening, like the, the crazy stuff that would happen in uh, opening for this kind of series. Cause that would be oh. so fun. The, the over the top, you go completely nuts with what's shown. Yeah, yeah, just uh, just 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 do what they did with the first B stars opening and have it have it all like uh stop, yeah, stop motion, motion and yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yes. Cool. Actually, Studio Orange could do a really yeah. good job with this. Probably, yeah. Orange right. is pretty cool experimental studio. So yeah, I can see that. Um, huh, but that's a that that's enough talking about things that'll never happen. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't know that yet. <laughs> I, 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 hey, I guess anything right. could happen. Yeah, you know, Level E got adapted like. Decades after that ended, that was a short series. You know, who knows? Uh, they could always go back to, to mine Horikoshi's older works for anime. If I'm from Japan, can have an anime, anything can like, yeah. anime. Maybe after My Hero is done, they'll, you know, they'll try something. I was gonna say they'll 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 need they'll need more Horikoshi stuff to fill in the void for for content, you know. See the origins of Gang Orca before he was MHA. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever wondered where Uabami came from? Have you ever wondered what Bakugo would be like as a furry? <laughs> Did you know Uabami had a crush on a giant man-child rabbit? <laughs> Did you know Hawks was once an eagle, also named after a hawk? <laughs> oh, man. Um, see, see Gang Orca's origin story. I still think that's his, his origin in my hero. No, I, I'm 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 totally okay with accepting that too. Oh yeah, no. Much like how Boku no Hero is secretly a prequel to My Hero Academia, and that uh, Jack Midori- uh, Midoriya is just Deku's dad. <laughs> yeah, like this is also canon. Everything is canon except for maybe Barrage. I don't know what you'd have to do to make Barrage canon, but it's canon. <laughs> Wouldn't Barrage be like the far, far future Nausicaa esque thing of this? Maybe. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Just that they they reveal it one day in when Barrage comes back because you know Cancel Manga come back sometimes <laughs> I guess and there's just like a skeleton of Deku somewhere in the distance and you go ah oh, that's no, that, no that's the end of uh, Adventure Time hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 um oh but oh boy we are dangerously close to three hours so we should probably end here <laughs> um thank you guys so much for uh, sending us your uh, your Twitter questions we really appreciate it they were very good. And, um, yeah, I think we should finally wrap this up. Um, thank you guys so much for spending so much time talking about Amagadoki Zoo with us. This was a, this was a real pleasure. Yeah, thanks for having me. I 
you know, I love this series. I'm always happy to talk about it. Absolutely. I loved I loved coming on and actually talking about this for once with more than like one other person <laughs> after 10 years. I'm sure you enjoyed talking about this for more than maybe a couple tweets. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man. But um no, seriously, this was this was great. I really enjoyed this. Go read Omagadoki Zoo. That's it's our final takeaway. Like we said, we, we all still recommend it despite its flaws. It's just it's fun. You know, it's a fun comic and I still enjoy it. But yeah, I guess um I guess we might as well wrap everything up here by uh letting you guys tell our listeners where they can find you. Um I guess Sai, do you want to start off? Uh, sure. I'm on Twitter, SciSciXChan, and I'm also on Tumblr sometimes. I post art at ArtsyCraft from Psy, and that's pretty much the only places I'm at right now, really. Is your, um, your, your stuff is still up on Redbubble, right? Yeah, I still have a Redbubble account. Um, uh, I actually have a couple of Omagadoki merch on there, I think. Oh, wow. Uh, probably nice. the only fan merch you can get right now. No, I think there's one other person, but they're really hardcore shipping Isana and Sheena. Ah, okay. Um, I mean, look, as, as as someone who has bought at least one item from Sai's Redbubble store, um, you know, pl- please go check out her art. I really love her stuff, and uh, like I said, the her Ochako shirt is like the like one of my favorite T-shirts that I own. So there's that. Yeah, thanks. I can I can link you uh, my Redbubble account. <laughs> And my, my, I actually have it on uh, Public too. Okay, cool. We'll definitely link your stuff in the show notes for people who, uh, if they like your art, they can uh, go ahead and buy your stuff. We'll definitely put that in the show notes. Um, and yeah, th- thank you for coming on for the first time. We, we hope to have you on again in the future, possibly, to, depending on what you want to talk about, you know? Maybe. I haven't, I've not read a whole lot of manga lately because nothing's caught my interest, but who knows? Hey, we'll, we'll see. Mm. Um, I guess also, Ace, thank you so much for coming on once again. We always love having you on. Always a pleasure. Uh, I'm basically only on Twitter. It, people want to see me talk about Final Fantasy 15 forever. <laughs> it it's the best experience. I recommend <laughs> it. <laughs> it's uh, I, I'm Kaito Ace. That's K A I T O U underscore A C E. And yeah, don't follow me if you want to learn anything about lettering because I'm probably the worst person in the lettering community. To- <laughs> no, lettering's oh, amazing. Oh. A- every time I is like I chime in on some letterer conversation, like I get a bunch of followers, and I'm like, no, 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 no. This happens like once every four months, guys. You're just like, no, this is a Final Fantasy account. <laughs> yeah, come on. It says Final Fantasy and World Trigger. Yeah, <laughs> all the Final Fantasy impromptu art, all all the cool things you do. Like, you're a great <laughs> Yeah, yeah. If Core was a letterer, then things would be different. But sadly, he's there just being a handsome guy with a big long sword. So, like, it affects things, <laughs> yeah. you know? <sighs> um, but, hey, look, definitely go follow Ace. And, uh, you know, just, 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 just check out everything they letter, which I can't remember off the top of my head. But they, they, do, they do good work, so. Black Clover. Black Clover, that's probably the big one, yeah. The latter half of Ultimate Muscle, which is out of print. World Trigger. World Trigger, World yes. World Trigger, my baby. Uh, coming out, uh, I think in the fall, I want to say September, but that seems too close. Uh, the uh, the Toriyama uh, one-shot book yeah, is coming that's out. Awesome. That's like, that's like really? 600 pages. It's so big. It's all his <laughs> old, old stuff. 
So if you like Toriyama, yeah. um, do do check that out. It's absolutely. It, it's the free theater volumes put yeah. together, isn't it? Oh, I'm so excited to know your lettering now. Yeah, I, I didn't, didn't know. see. Nice. It's a trip. I was already really like excited to buy it, but now I'm even more excited to buy it. Honestly, <laughs> hopefully, I, it's yeah, it sure is something. <laughs> oh man. Nice. Uh, finally, go go Ackman. It's all we need. <laughs> um, and then I guess Maxi, as always, thank you for coming on and talking about more canceled Shonen Jump stuff. Uh, thank you. I, I'm very much here out of tradition rather than having as much exciting things to say. But I'm glad to have been no, here. No, we you want. the same. You're always a pleasure. No, no, I'm, I'm not playfully. I'm just. It's fine. Don't worry. It's fine. The point is, is the other guests are better. That's what matters to me, is that they have been excellent. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Maxi the B. I currently... I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm doing like a guest and Fred at the moment because they started a baseball series in there by the Draft King author, but that's probably over by now. So if you if you go to my Twitter, chances are I'm doing a long-promised Fred where I'm doing a currently reading of four horny comics. <laughs> they are Adultery <laughs> Restaurant. They are Hero Gal X Healer Boy. They are Erotic X Anabolic, and they are Interspecies Reviewers. I'm going to be red-faced the entire time I'm doing it, but I promised everyone <laughs> I would cover some horny comics as as a thank you for letting me spend a month and a half doing a thread about baseball comics. <laughs> and I've punished them enough by doing the Omegadaki Zoo thread instead. So I'll be doing that. You can also, if you go to friendshipeffortvictory.com, you can see a URL that I pay £18 a year for and do not use. <laughs> Amazing. And if you managed, if you managed to find the link, there are also all my old podcast episodes on there. There is one about uh, Barrage, which is another series by Horikoshi Kohei. Uh, I want to say I'm more positive about the series than I will be when we eventually do an episode on here about it. But I can't remember because I made it about half a decade ago. <laughs> I might have to re-listen to that soon. Actually, um, that'll be interesting. Um, but yeah, no, seriously, it was great having you guys on. This was a great conversation, uh, and. I, I think I think the bewitching hour is over. Daybreak is coming. We got to transform all you guys back into animals. Oh, no. uh, gotta, <laughs> yeah. gotta get yeah. ready for another day at the zoo. Time to be an alpaca. <laughs> uh, I guess uh, Lummy, ready to help me set up the zoo? Yeah, there's a lot of shit to clean up, so we better get on. <laughs> so you guys are zookeepers. It's a hard. It's a hard job, but someone's got to do it. Again, to Maxi, Ace, and Sai for joining us for our Makedoki podcast. We really had a great time discussing this wild series, and we are definitely excited to have this discussion be the start of our Kohorikoshi month. So look forward to our next week's installment on Barrage, which is also a great conversation. But yeah, as always, check out. Maxi sign Ace on Twitter and follow their work because they're all doing amazing stuff. 
But speaking of people doing amazing stuff, that's going to lead us to our community shoutouts. And I'll start off by recommending, I think, the only other podcast that I know, at least, who has done a Omagi Ogeja retrospective, Shonen Flop. It has occurred to me we have never recommended Shonen Flop before in the shoutouts, which is a shame because Shonen Flop's a great show, doing a great job discussing Cancel Jump series and canceled uh, manga in general. And our episode of Omagi Ogeja was quite critical. They aren't a fan of either Roger Omagi <laughs> very much. However, I think they brought up some very fair criticisms about the story structure, about characters, Characters that were mirrored in our discussion, but they go into some other interesting territories of what didn't necessarily gel in terms of the plotting of the series and why that could have contributed to the series' short-lived nature. So I really appreciated the conversation. It was a very fun time. And I'll talk about their barrage discussion on the barrage community shout-out section. We'll save it for then. But yeah, their Omagadogizu episode, very, very good. Mm-hmm. I just also want to say real quick, um, I do agree Shonen Flop is a good show. Sh- shout out to them if they're listening. Uh, and I also just want to recommend their episode that they did on uh, Tatsuki Fujimoto's Look Back one shot, uh, where they had mm-hmm. uh, Mother's Basement, uh, Jeff Thu on. Uh, that was a really great episode, and I think they really, like, covered pretty expertly, like, why Look Back is as good as it is. And... Uh, yeah, just just go listen to it. I think that's probably my favorite episode of the show so far, actually. Absolutely. Now, speaking of before we were talking about this idea of releasing manga digitally. Now, the OSG has uncovered a little bit of a problem with, in specific, Amazon's ability to for people to just freely upload their books and comics to their service and distribute them as ebooks, because the OSG discovered that there's a big manga piracy problem on Kindle specifically. Oh yeah, in which people have basically stolen, you know, copyright material, or in many cases are just repurposing scanlations, selling them as ebooks under a different title, and then raking the profit from that, and. Because it costs pretty much nothing to set up these things on ebooks. Even though not a lot of people buy it, that's still a lot of dollars going into basically just stealing someone else's work, stealing stanlations, and just putting it up as an ebook. And even more so if they opt in to have the books being available on like Kindle Unlimited or whatever, in which case, then yeah, any like amount of reads is also just putting dollars into a pirate's pocket. There, so it's a very interesting, fascinating article of how brazen some of these like piracy repurposing attempts on Kindle are, oh, yeah. and how challenging it is to try and combat it in terms of like notifying, hey, this is stolen work that is being sold here. How do you petition Amazon to keep track of all this and take all these down? And it's very difficult for copyright holders to also keep traps of all this stuff. So it's a very interesting problem that doesn't necessarily have an easy solution but it's worked at least as a consumer keeping a mindful eye out for in case you are being scammed to buying pirated manga because oftentimes because these titles are when they are freshly like published on amazon they'll kind of take up space in like the what's new or in searches and stuff so they'll drown out you know, official links to official books and stuff. So it's worth keeping a mindful eye out for. Now, moving on to the subject of retrospectives, Kazenshu did a really cool exploration 
trying to determine what was the official debut date of Dragon Ball Z in North America. Because there's often been this like alleged date of September 13, 1996. However, in their exploration of how the syndication packages worked, it was found that most markets would usually be airing the show on Saturdays or Sundays, but there are at least one instance of DBZ airing on the 13th, but there are also potentially dates even earlier than that as far as the 7th. And this was a really interesting winding like research into what the first true date of the Sabanda of DBZ was on Art America TV. But of course, as the article points out, DBZ first had its broadcast in North America through the Hawaiian local channel Nippon Golden Network, which started airing the series in December 1994. And so, yeah, even though the Saban date, we can generally determine to this state range in September, the true official start date of DBZ in North America can be traced back even earlier than that. But, of course, the article ends off with the question, okay, well, now when did the original Dragon Ball start airing in North America? Because even before Nippon Golden ever started airing the suburbs in the series, Harmony Gold had their dub that aired on a few markets, and when did those air? So that's an interesting question, and I'm excited to see them explore in a future feature on the topic. So, yeah, it was a really fascinating read good exploration of like you know 25 years out from dbc's debut date on syndicated packages and most american stations like looking back at when did it really start in america so i like that a lot now speaking of celebrating uh, anniversaries and doing retrospectives adult stories trade anniversary happened recently and then and new york times had a great profile of Adult Swim's origins and interviewed, you know, several key people involved in the process like Mike Lasso, Betty Cohen, Mike Oling, Dave Willis, you know, basically going over the origins of like how Adult Swim started from the early days of like trying to call together reusable assets of Space Ghost to make a makeshift talk show to have his original content, how that basically evolved into them getting this idea that try and do an adult network and they basically had a year to do it they had very little budget and so they had to really pull that together and then commenting on like what adult swim as a space has allowed for you know up and coming comedy creators and uh, independent like animation talent and you know interviewing Tim Heidecker and stuff like that about like oh how adult swim gave them a platform to you know, have their shows be out there, have their sounds of comedy be out there in a space that no other network would provide and how that they still are a really important, really awesome kind of avenue platform for like alternative voices in the current movie scene. So I think, yeah, it's a very nice retrospective that interviews a lot of cool people involved in the making and development of Adult Swim. I think a very nice tribute to the network's history. I also really appreciate it on the subject of tributes to Adult Swim's history. Madman, uh, a member of like the, you know, Adult Swim fan community over on 
Discord and Reddit stuff, he has his own channel, and he recently did a top 25 Adult Swim shows tribute, basically talking about, like, the shows that he really loves from the network. And I really appreciate it. He touches upon a lot of really underrated shows, I would say, like Brad Neely's Hard Nelling's Holy of Peeprio and Drinky Crow show, and talks about, like, what makes them very unique and special. I think he has some really good points about what's really smart about some shows, like Frisky Dingo being a basically a whole commentary on marketing and i really appreciated this retrospective like uh touched upon a lot of cool shows even shows that most people would overlook from adult swim's history and i think it was a nice celebration of them so i wanted to shout that out because i know he worked very hard at it and quite enjoyed watching it speaking of retrospectives i really enjoyed watching with clearly a lot of hard work to make i really love folding ideas retrospective ralph bakshi's lord of the rings animated feature which was a great profile of ralph bakshi's you know, history prior to doing that Lord of the Rings feature in terms of his animation career, some of the techniques he would innovate and use in his films, what he was focused on in terms of, like, content and commentary, how that was applied into Lord of the Rings, which was made at a time when the Lord of the Rings brand and IP wasn't as perfected to the point where you could, you know, very easily make uh, reprintings and derivatives uh, because it technically was in the public domain in order to make it for a, a short period of time. But, yeah, with his film like they talked about how he basically filmed it all in live action first to rotis going animation later so he basically made the film twice and then some of the things that worked about that approach and worked about the animation style and doing that and mixed media efforts in the film and then some of the things that don't really work as well and then also going to minutia of like other fun details like a big debate about oh, does the balrog have wings or not <laughs> that was pretty fun <laughs> And so, yeah, like, it's clear that uh, Dan Olsen took a lot of time to do, you know, research and craft this video, especially, like, commented 80% of the work was, like, the last 30 seconds where he basically transitioned out of the video by having his own rotoscope animation of himself, like, uh, sitting by a creek and stuff. And that was a really good sequence, but, yeah, it probably was very time-consuming to do just for, like, a short little outro gag. But yeah, I really appreciate it. It was a great informative retrospective from Ron Thakshi's career and the making of the Lord of the Rings animated feature. Now, speaking of uh, retrospectives on animated fantasy films, Akira Video did a great uh, exploration of Slayers and Motion Picture. They're big Slayers fans. I've enjoyed their reviews of the TV series seasons before, but now they're tackling the movies, and I think yeah, Kaiser Beams does a great job of yeah exploring, like, yeah, this is probably the best animated, best-looking feature in this latest franchise. It was cool how they drew upon the light novels, and really talking about what's great about the Lena and Naga dynamic and what makes it so fun. Because they're very similar characters in their haughtiness <laughs> and their selfishness, but they also play off each other very well because they're such exaggerated personas in similar ways, but Lena has just a bit more common sense that they can have a really fun odd couple like friendship rivalry dynamic so i really appreciate that and his look at like what makes the film really fun in terms of, like a pure gag fest and also criticizing some of the weaker story elements but i think that was fair and i'm really looking forward to seeing him tackle the rest of the movies uh, going forward too
And speaking of retrospectives on classic franchise, Mercury Falcon did a great retrospective on the Doro franchise, contrasting the original manga with the newer anime adaptation and how the newer adaptation really enhanced a lot of the storytelling of the original and a lot of the the messages of the original that kind of fell short because of its abrupt ending or just the way it was plotted and how it's focused on Hyakamaru's character arc, you know, slowly evolving as he recovers body parts and has to deal with new senses that he can't really understand or that causes him trouble. It's done really, really well in the new adaptation as opposed to in the manga where it doesn't quite carry as much weight. So I thought it was a really good exploration and comparison contrast of the original manga to the new adaptation as well as the classic anime adaptation and also touched upon some funny things with the video game blood will tell which is the clips that he overdubbed of the video game was very funny especially like the the one near the end where like it's Yakimura screaming about like getting his voice back it was very funny. So I really enjoyed the video. Great retrospect on Doro, a series that hopefully we'll be covering on the show pretty soon, too. And I'm excited to revisit after a long time. And after, especially after seeing Mercury Falcon's video on it, like definitely makes me uh, more excited to return to it and also catch up on that anime adaptation from a few years back, too. Because, yeah, seeing all the examples of like things that were enhanced definitely makes me want to uh, return and finally finish that. And then moving on from that, I I really wanted to touch upon a video that I really appreciate from Gaijin uh, Goomba and his Gaijin Perspective channel, where he talked about how Japan and its culture of cuteness and moe and, co- you know, just uh, their embracing of cute things helped him, like, as a young person, kind of challenge ideas of toxic masculinity and be more comfortable in accepting and embracing cute things and the aesthetic of cuteness himself. And his experiences, you know, in Japan and observing that, like, even the most hard-boiled dude, like, one time on the train, he saw this super hard-boiled, like, tough guy-looking dude, and he had, like, I think it was a Hello Kitty sticker on his bag or something. So, you know, just how that kind of stuff was eye-opening to him, of, like, how, you know, you don't have to reject cuteness even if you want to embody this idea of masculinity in fact you can embrace that as part of masculinity and i thought that was a very cool conversation that he had and cool how you know his experiences with japanese media and living in japan helped him uh reforge his ideas of cuteness and relationship to masculinity and then finally my last shout out i want to give is for something upcoming and that's shaved his planned live streams that are going to explore the first edition of the anime encyclopedia shaves of course you'll know him on his youtube channel doing anime digests like going over you know the best of uh new videos that are made by the anime community as well as his own channel caribou coon where he does his own video essays and now he's doing this live stream series where he wants to revisit the first edition of the anime encyclopedia written by Tom mccarty and jonathan clements and see how it holds up today you know it was created in a time in which we didn't have an mal we didn't have really these big databases that were cataloging every anime ever the anime encyclopedia's first edition was the first time 
around like 300 unique anime were like profiled in a single book and it was uh, pretty much the proto email because McCarthy and Clemens gave like their own opinions on the shows and Shades wants to basically revisit the book to see like how those opinions hold up and also that co- how the collection of series it chose to profile whether that has affected the discourse of what anime we consider like culturally and historically important to this day and I think it's a really great effort and endeavor I'm really excited to follow along with his live stream series uh, rereading and exploring the book so Definitely, definitely excited for that. I definitely want to shout that out in advance for you to also check that out as well. And finally, the last thing I will mention uh, in terms of shoutouts is actually I recently appeared on the Duck Face Diaries, the World Trigger podcast hosted by our good friends Wednesday Dale Treader and Hoven. And I really had a fun time. We discussed volume 14 of World Trigger. And it was a great discussion on a great volume because that was... Even though one might consider that a transitional volume, like, there's just so much happens in that volume in terms of setting up stuff with the after-couture lore of, like, the the secession to the throne and the, the warring between the factions, and so much set up for the Gallipol invasion, including hints of, like, bigger revelations involving some members of the Gallipoli team that we don't learn until, like, later down the line. There's great development for Asamu and Chika learning new skills. It was such a fantastic one more trigger, and I had a lot of fun talking about it with Wednesdaydale and Hoven. So definitely check out that episode of Death Face Diaries. They do, you know, recommended the show before, but it's a great podcast. Uh, they really does a great job deep diving World Trigger, and I'm just glad to join them for a great part of it. But that about does it for the things I want to shout out this time. And Colton, I'll turn it to you for a shout out you really want to mention. Yeah, I'll finish up our community shout outs uh, just by saying, um, and, you know, we've talked about his videos before, but I really just want to, you know, shout out Totally Not Mark once again, because he has just finished up his read through review series of the original Dragon Ball, basically everything before Z. And um, yeah, I mean... Look, just a general, I've been really loving uh, his review videos. Uh, I'm pretty sure we talked about his One Piece reviews before. And since then, he's done review series on stuff like JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, Hunter Hunter. Uh, he's in the middle of doing, like, monthly Berserk videos now, which is really cool. Um, but yeah, he just finished up reading Dragon Ball. And yeah, I really thought those videos were uh, super good in particular, because obviously Dragon Ball means a lot to Mark in particular. It's one of his favorite stories, if not his favorite story of all time. And um, I thought his video on uh, on the 23rd tournament in particular was very, very good. I think you could tell that he was the most passionate about talking about that arc of the series in particular. Uh, so much so that he even commissioned Team Four Star to do a little bit at the beginning, which was always nice to see. Um, and yeah, I, I just I just love his stuff. And you know, I understand if he doesn't really have any interest in doing so because I know he he's talked about Dragon Ball Z in a lot of his videos in the past before. But you know, I would love to see him go through the Z portion of the manga in particular because I think there's a lot of good stuff that uh, he could dig into that in particular. But yeah, uh, just just go go watch his Dragon Ball series at the very least. If if you're a fan of Dragon Ball like Lum and I are, uh, I think you'll get a lot out of those. They're just really good videos that I think touch on like what makes the early portion of the series work so well and why uh, and and why it's just so good. You know, just just go check it out. Absolutely. I wish I had kept closer track of them as they're going out because unfortunately that second one is now offline on YouTube. But yeah, these are definitely videos that I'm keen to 
continue watching because I think Mark does a great job articulating the strengths of the series and yeah I'm definitely excited for the 23rd Madukai revisit because I know he mentioned that that is his probably his favorite arc of the early material so yeah mm-hmm. Mark does great videos and check them out um but yeah I think that's good about do or community shout outs huh indeed and until the next time where we can confront show with a barrage of our opinions on old classic cancel jump series uh we'll let you know where you guys can find us Mm-hmm. and i guess uh lum if you want to go first where can the good people find you you can find me at Lomomiyasha on Twitter at Lomomiyasha in a variety of places like Amateur Revelation and Annie Roaders at Lomomiyasha. That's where you can find me. You can also find me on all.com. I write manga reviews for them, and we have a lot of books coming in, a lot of reviews going out, so look forward to more on there. That's also where you can find the other podcasts I do, including Manga Marrows at Movies, a show where we talk about anime movies, and Lum Squad, the show I do with my good friend Andrew A.C. Yoshimura, where we discuss the wonderful and wacky world of Mugo Takahashi, Zero Tegatra, We've been having a blast keeping up with his releases of the manga and covering the movies now that they're on Country Roll and now that they're coming out from Discotech with the first movie now slated for that late November release. And we're very excited for that and we're excited to continue talking about the series we really love. So if you want discussion on you know, classic Rumiko Takahashi goodness, perhaps, you know, in my opinion, her best series, definitely check out Lum Squad. And if you like the art I do, the art I create for these shows, all the podcasts I do, the animations, illustrations I make in general, you can find all of that on my Instagram at SidArtWorks. All right. But as for me, I'm Colton. You can find me on Twitter at SniperKing323. I also do a lot of other podcasts on the side besides this one uh, that you can find links to over at my personal blog at ColtonCorner.WordPress.com. Basically, I have a page on that blog dedicated to all the podcasts I'm doing at the moment, uh, including whatever guest spots I've done for other shows, too. Uh, I try to keep that as up to date as possible. Um, But yeah, if you're basically interested in hearing anything else I do, like uh, One Podcast Prevails, a podcast about Detective Conan slash Case Closed, or Just a Gintama podcast, a podcast about Gintama, or Another Day, Another Adventure, a podcast about Dragon Ball. Um, yeah, go go check out my other stuff if you're interested. Again, that's at coltoncorner.wordpress.com where you can find links to all my stuff. Uh, but as for this show and everything else, uh, you can find every episode of Manga Mavericks over at allcomic.com. That's where we post every episode first, unless you're a patron of ours at patreon.com slash manga mavericks, where at the $2 tier, you'll have the chance to possibly listen to some uh, early editions of the podcast, depending on when we have them edited. Um, for example, if we happen to have a podcast edited before it's supposed to go out on our main feed, we'll always put it up on our Patreon first. Admittedly, uh, that's kind of depending on our schedules and everything, so it's not exactly the most consistent stream of content. Uh, so if you want more guaranteed content every month, sign up for our $5 tier, where we post at least one bonus podcast at the end of every month. Uh, right now, if you sign up for our Patreon, you can listen to the beginning of our Irregular History of Manga Magazine's miniseries, where we're basically going to talk with our good friend Maxi Bernard, uh, who we've had on the show this episode. And uh, we're basically going to go over their uh, their Twitter thread, where they go over different manga magazines, which, uh, if we haven't said it already, is a very good thread that goes over a ton of different magazines. And we're, we're attempting to try to go through uh, every magazine on the thread, though uh, we only got through so many of them on this first episode. Um, we basically go over most of the Shonen magazines. Hopefully next time we 
get together to record, we could do mostly shoujo magazines. But for now, we talk about all the big magazines on this first episode, such as Weekly Shonen Jump, Shonen Magazine, Shonen Sunday. We spend a lot of time talking about Jump Square in particular, which is pretty interesting. And so, yeah, we try to cover as uh, whatever we can. Um, it, like I said, it's going to be a very irregular series. Like, basically, when we have the time, we'll, we'll kind of get together and just talk about manga magazines. It was very fun. And if, if you like listening to us talk to Maxi in particular, uh, you know, you'll definitely want to go uh, listen to that again at our $5 tier at patreon.com slash manga mavericks. You know, sign up for our Patreon. It's really the best way for you guys to support us and everything we do here. It helps keeps the lights on, et cetera, et cetera. And just any support you're able to throw our way on Patreon, whatever you're able to give, we really appreciate it and we cannot thank you enough. But yeah, as for everything else, you can follow us on facebook.com slash all.comic or on twitter.com slash allcomic underscore. But if you want to follow Manga Mavericks specifically, you want to follow us on Twitter at Manga underscore Mavericks or on Tumblr at MangaMavericks.tumblr.com for all the latest updates on the podcast. Subscribe to our YouTube channel at YouTube.com slash Manga Mavericks where we upload different excerpts of the podcast and even some exclusive content every once in a while. Again, that's at YouTube.com slash Manga Mavericks. Email us anything at mangamavericks at gmail.com. Uh, do you have any thoughts on Omagadoki Zoo or any of Horikoshi's works? Uh, do you have any thoughts on manga or the podcast in general? Uh, send us an email and we'll read it on the show. We love getting emails. And yeah, again, that's at mangamavericks at gmail.com. But the most important thing, guys, is that you subscribe, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or basically wherever you listen to podcasts. We're on so many different platforms at this point, Uh, but especially on Apple Podcasts, it really helps the visibility of our show uh, if you leave us a rating and a review. And just in general, we love getting feedback from you guys uh, because we take every bit of feedback uh, as seriously as possible because we want to use that feedback to help make the show that much better. Uh, So please leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. But that's going to be about it for this episode of the show. This has been episode 173 of the Manga Mavericks podcast on allcomic.com. And we will see you guys next time for episode 174. Bye, guys. Sayonara. Sayonara.